0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglos coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. All I can say is the news today, total So let's get to Bill.
2: On tight, Action Radio presents the FECTI Report. Good morning, Action Radio Land. I am calling today from the chocolate capital of the world. Yes, Hershey, Pennsylvania.
1: So in I was thinking Jack Switzerland. <laughs> what was I thinking? It, I was it, thinking Hershey, in San Francisco. Pennsylvania.
2: The American. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They, they don't have a town heard, named Lynn. What's that?
2: There there is there is a hurricane in Florida in case you haven't heard.
1: You know, actually it's funny you should say that. I was just catching the news. There was a little bit on it last night that there might be a, a, a hurricane going through Florida this particular time. So we should uh, we should probably report on that a little bit. <laughs> we're not making fun of people in Fort Myers. We're not. We're not making fun of you people. We're just we're just making fun of the news. That's a that's a different kind of thing. I want I want that clearly understood. That uh, having been through Hurricane Sally, which wasn't that bad, I lost power like three days, so I lost three action radio shows, um, and I lost some food in the fridge. But, but I mean that's nothing. That that's that's just you know, that's that's a walk in the park compared to what some people go through. So yeah, I feel pretty lucky. Yeah.
2: So Hurricane. Uh... Ian, right, as mm-hmm. of right now, there, a new advisory is going to come out while we are on the air, so we'll be able to do a live update, uh, but right oh now it's a Category 4, 155 uh-huh. miles an hour, um, two more miles per hour, which will, will make it a Category 5.
1: And they're really going to feel uh, that so two miles talking- an hour, too. They're going to go, oh, I'm so glad this is a Category 4. It's only 155-mile-an-hour wind as opposed to 157. Boy, that's going to be bad.
0: Just,
1: yeah, yeah well, silly. you
2: know, it's kind of the same way with uh, Hurricane Ivan with us back in 2004. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. It was one mile per hour under a Category 4, so it was only categorized as a Category 3. But, of course, we felt everything of a Category 4. Um, yeah. And so, so the people in Fort Myers, you know, anyone who stays is, is, is stupid and you deserve whatever happens to you. I'm just going to say it right now. Uh-huh. Um yeah, you know, because you know they have had plenty of warning to, to get out, and they even have time right now to get out.
1: Um, mm, and lacing her from the governor, he said it's too late in certain counties. He says if you're if if you haven't left, it's too late. You have got to hunker down. So I think there's some places yeah. that have actually closed off. They've closed bridges. They've closed roads. And if and here's the thing I learned this is a, on a serious note from uh, Mr. Baker, one of uh, there were emergency preparedness folks here in Santa Rosa County. Now, for those that are curious and wondering and you know, sending all kinds of things like, are you okay? I'm okay. Uh, Bill and I are okay. We're in the way upper left, northwest corner of Florida in the top of the panhandle under Alabama. Uh, we're about as far away as any point in Florida from this. And so we're, we're in good shape this time. Like I say, we had, you know, since I've been here in, in, uh, since March of 2017, uh, that year, I think there were four hurricanes and, and all of them went around me. <laughs> It was it was a morning. Oh yeah, miss you know. Oh, dodge that bullet, you know. And then uh, then a couple of years later, was it? When was Sally? Was it two years ago? Uh, twenty twenty. Okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll, so my so hindsight, just remember it'll be twenty twenty. That'll be my little memory device. But yeah, <laughs> but but that's when that's when you said, hey, you're you're real Floridian now. You've been through a Hurricane. And it's like, yeah, you know, I've been through uh, the blizzard of 78 New England. I've been, I went through the earthquake of 89 in San Francisco. And after this, I'm going to move either into a tornado zone or under a volcano. I don't know which, but, I, you know, it
3: just seems to be my pattern. Well,
1: you know, uh, yeah. you,
0: you
3: know, be careful what you wish for because you
2: just might get it. And, you know, Milton know. does have a lot of tornadoes. So, yeah, Uh-oh. don't be wishing upon that. Um, I'd rather go through uh, – yeah, wood. I heard. <laughs> I, <I'd laughs> well, it's it's almost where It's one. my
1: desk. Yeah, it's particle. Yeah, blood.
2: a one or know. two <laughs> uh, category hurricane than I would a tornado any day of the week. Because uh, at least
1: hurricanes, you have time to prepare. Tornadoes, there is no time to prepare. No, they just drop um, down. Well, listen, try preparing for an earthquake. <laughs> Whatever you don't have in your, in your yeah. cupboard for, for water and canned goods. And, and here's the thing, too. There's nowhere to go because you don't know when it's going to hit. So you can't evacuate. Because there's no warning. I mean, we had, uh, in fact, it was 15 seconds was the earthquake of '89, and you had about three seconds to get somewhere, because it was so sort of like a pre shock wave. The first shock wave was was, uh, was bad, and then it really got bad fast. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's an earthquake, and then you think, oh shit, it's an earthquake.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: so excuse my language. I don't, I don't swear very often, but I mean, I immediately, I was playing guitar, threw it off, ducked in the doorway. Uh, and uh, did I ever tell you that story real quickly that uh, I was in flight school at the time and that's the one day that they told me not to uh, to go to flight school because the plane I was supposed to fly I was going for my instructor rating was down for maintenance. So they said don't come in and normally <clears throat> I would have been on that cypress structure You know the one that collapsed over in Oakland. Uh, I would have been under that uh, coming home at five o'clock after flight wow. school and the one so this is the God said you know I'm not done with you yet. Okay. This is this is you know if I didn't have religion before I certainly had it after this but that was the one day and all of my training that they canceled the flight, uh, canceled me to come in. I said, eh, don't come in. You know, hang out at home. And 504, that's when the earthquake hit, and that cypress structure came down. Uh, about 60 people were killed outright, and, and hundreds more had massive injuries, amputated limbs, things like that. It was bad. And they always knew it was bad. Wow. engineered bad. Um, but, you know, there before the grace of God, you know, go I. I mean, literally. And so there, uh, it's like the people that had an appointment canceled, you know, during the World Trade Center, it's that kind of thing. And so I'm one of the, yeah. lucky, the lucky people that uh, would have, could have, should have been there and wasn't through just a, a freak of airplane maintenance. So, yeah, so I had, that's, that's part of the reason Action Radio is here. And this is why, I, you know, and it, it's like I'm grateful and, and do what I can because I, I kind of feel, you know, I got a second chance. You know, I should have been there. And so I owe something. <laughs> anyway, enough about me. Um, <laughs>
2: So Okay, so, actually, Greg, I don't mean to cut you yeah. off on your story, because, I mean, that's actually a really good story, uh, oh, but uh, they have the new update. They have the 8, uh, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time update. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still moving 10 miles per hour northeast. Uh, it's it's sustaining at 155 miles per hour. The pressure is staying at 937 millibars, so there's no What's change tax, from the 7
0: um, o'clock
1: hour. Do you have a quick conversion on that for, for normal folks? You because know, usually we do inches
2: All right, of mercury. Sorry. Okay, so... Um, um, the pr- uh, the pressure the lower the pressure the stronger the f- uh, the force. Um, uh-huh. It's uh, I don't if, if anyone's ever seen wind uh, graphs before or wind lines. Um, you know uh, every you know the jet stream works with a uh, bunch of bars uh, and uh-huh. there's a bunch of lines that go across the the earth basically. So shorter the uh, the lines are in between each other the closer uh-huh. they are the more pressure the higher the wind. And that's the only way I could explain it by on a visual. Um, is so I, explain, exactly. I used to be a flight
1: instructor. <laughs> I, I explain weather all the time to people. So, yeah, yeah you're exactly mm-hmm. right. And the closer the bar is yeah. the greater the uh, pressure change over the shorter a distance. And so low pressure means air is rising. And so it's rising up, but it's also twisting. And so this is what they call cyclonic or anti-cyclonic movement, depending on whether you're in the northern or the southern hemisphere. So as this air rises like quickly, the, quickly then it, I, I think like cold air from the north mixes with hot air from the south. Basically, a hurricane is a heat transfer device. So all those folks that are worried about climate change, you know, saying there's more hurricanes, uh, there's very few this year, but we had a fairly mild summer. Hurricanes transfer heat and energy from the equator to the northern latitudes. That's what a hurricane does. That's why they move north uh, in the northern hemisphere and south in the southern hemisphere because they take heat from the equator and move it, and that's to stabilize the Earth's temperature. So all this is a temperature and moisture stabilizing device. Unfortunately, it moves at 155 miles an hour, uh, and that roars. If you've never heard wind that much, what do we have here, 60, 70 miles an hour uh, where we were with Hurricane Sally? I mean, it was um, it, not it that got much. got up
2: to 80. I think the top one was about 80.
1: Okay. Yeah, and 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 the best way to I
2: think the best way to explain it is Mm -hmm. if you've ever been, um, and I'll get to this in a minute. um, You know, on top of a tower, for and you're outside on an observation deck or something, and you have 30 mile an hour winds, and it feels like a lot worse. Mm -hmm. That's how it kind of feels more or less, uh, or if you're or what it sounds like, I should say, or if you're inside uh, an alley in a city, and the and the wind just kicks up at the right time. Um, I think that might be a better analogy, actually. Oh, I got a better one. You're in a... <laughs> if if
1: okay, you're shooting a, a passenger in your car doing about 75 miles an hour, stick your head out the window. <laughs> That's about yeah, what it feels like. Yeah, that'll work. You know, don't do it if you're the driver. It's yeah. not going to work. You know, but it won't be the passenger. We just want to have a little precaution <laughs> uh, just, just because. But there's something missing from uh, DeSantis' report. I don't know if anybody else has picked up on this. We have a huge number of illegal aliens uh, that, are, that are in Florida, uh, thanks to uh, Brandon and the other illegal operators in the coup. And I, I'm i surprised he didn't issue a specific warning, like do not even think of looting the homes of Floridians, you know, you uninvited guests, you know, or, you know, or persona non grata. We don't want you here. And if you find this, as they should say this isn't the border, this isn't the federal land, this is Florida, and these people will defend their homes and property. So don't even think about looting. Well,
2: uh, last uh, night... Yeah. Um uh last night in his report, I think it was the ten o'clock report, maybe the nine o'clock report, mm-hmm. um, the uh he didn't say it, but it was um uh, one of his other guys that go up and speak did talk about that.
0: Oh, and really? uh
2: did say So that, Governor
0: yeah, people say,
1: or, or who was it? Was it like an um, emergency person?
2: Uh, you know, one of the emergency response people. Um Okay. Um came up and did talk about the fact that, you know, do not be looting. Uh, you will, you know, it, it, you know, basically zero tolerance
1: is what he said. Mm-hmm. Without going well, saying that. Please. Homeowners don't have much tolerance either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, most foreign yeah. people, I mean, we're all pretty heavily armed here, and there's a good reason for it. This is exactly why people should be armed, you know, because especially you got foreign invaders to our country. They should not be here. Uh, all they're doing is here to take advantage of, of us and take our tax money and take everything else. I mean, they're thieves. And so if they if they start looting, but the thing is they should be warned. <laughs> you know it's bad enough here in our country, but if you are here and if you want to make your situation a lot worse, you know, <laughs> don't do this. You know unless you want to make your situation a lot worse, because they may think you know the, the what America's like the border patrol and you know what they're being ordered to do. And it's simply not. You know, and I don't know if you know what kind of awareness these folks have, but uh, I'm telling you, there's going to be problems. 'Cause you know, the legal. They think they can take advantage of this. It's, it's, uh, it's not going to be good.
2: No, it's not. And, and let's talk about the illegals for a minute because uh, sure. if we're going to switch uh, subject. We're going to talk about illegal voting, though. Um mm. We're now, we're going to talk about because it's very. Uh, we're coming close on the election, mm-hmm. and we're about to he- see about two, three million people get displaced temporarily. Uh, and, and down in Fort Myers, uh, the, uh, Orlando, that's prime Democrat country.
1: Well, that's interesting.
2: So you know, Naples, Fort Myers,
1: but well, they're It'll all New Jersey transplants. Is that where the yeah, what, I mean, New York goes to the one coast, and New Jersey goes to the other coast? <laughs> I mean, how many divide up? Yeah, kind
2: of period? more or less. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, New York just goes everywhere down in South Florida, but um, sure. you know, so so it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens as far as how many people are permanently displaced or at least displaced for the next couple of years mm-hmm. and how are they, and how are they planning on voting if they even know they're going to be voting? Yeah, you know, they may be voting and not even knowing it.
1: Well, see, this is the time when absentee ballots do work. And this is what this is what they're for yeah. is a natural disaster like this. What we don't want to see is people always voting by absentee or mail out ballots. So there, there shouldn't, you know, not be any mail out ballots. Well, here's something too. Uh, is, are they mailing out ballots down there and, and are people collecting them before the hurricane <laughs> i'm just curious you know though better pick Well up the mail ballot in uh, ballot
2: ballots don't go out until the middle i think it's middle of october i think is when the mail out ballots go okay, and so at, point, yeah. so at this point so t- at this point you know we're talking the middle of october you know this next month are people going to be that aware and care that much that they're going to go ahead and go online and say, hey, please mail my ballot up to Atlanta or to New York uh, so I could vote? Or are they just going to be more concerned
1: about, hey, I need to get my house back in order? Yeah. Well, it's a midterm, it's not as critical an election. Uh, I think the outcome is pretty much predetermined. I think the only thing we don't know is whether the Republicans will actually do anything with their victory or whether they're going to hand power back to the Democrats. But I think it's pretty assured that they're going to win. Because policies are so Yeah, but bad. we're
2: talking. You we got some close races down in South Florida. Oh,
0: that's um, and it, Okay.
2: Yeah. So I mean, so you got Democrat versus Republican, and mm-hmm. so it, you know, and then you also got a very tight Senate race between Val Demings and Marco Rubio. So how does this change that race? Mm. Is really is really the key thing because if you're talking about a, a highly Democrat area being wiped out, which you know, Fort Myers could very well get wiped out if um if this storm stays. Well can they we delay the what election?
1: happened can they just postpone? it? So we them, saw what
2: happened to we saw what happened to Panama City. And Panama City um still had a pretty decent turnout because people mm. really just stayed in you know, stayed on their property and they had tents and campers and whatnot. Right. Um, I don't think Fort Myers people are have that same mentality. Um, I think
1: that they will just go ahead and... <laughs> well, no, it's funny. I there mean, was one guy. Died. Do you remember that picture of that one house in, in uh, Panama? See, so this is Hurricane Michael. This is about, uh, I think, three years ago. And this one house, and this guy had it reinforced, and he had it braced, and he, uh, this guy built it like... Uh, like a military, you know, operating, you know, pillbox house, kind house. of thing, except as a house. Yeah, it was, it was huge. Well, it was just, it was just reinforced concrete rebar. I mean, everything. And around them was like, wooden homes and people were like, ha ha ha. You know, what's the story of the, the three little pigs? <laughs> well, this, this guy had the brick house <laughs> Okay. Yep. or the equivalent thereof. And the other people laughed and said, what are you doing all that work for? Why are you building all the strong house? Well, of course his house survived. Everybody else's were, were, you know, sawdust, And, and that's what happens. You, you got to prep. You know, you got People laugh at the preppers until they until they need it. Then they want to go borrow their food. <laughs> so exactly. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah. People are idiots. Yeah.
2: So yeah. So it's uh, um. Uh, yeah. So you know, this voting, um, uh, this November election it could actually help out the Republicans mm-hmm. if the Democrats. You know, are, you know, do get, get their houses wiped out or whatever, and yeah. decide. Not That's to not the
1: way it. I want to win an election, though. I mean, I, I, I no, wish they, not. you know, you should postpone it. You should, uh, in fact, they might be doing that. Well, let's see what happens. They've got a, you know, a couple of weeks after this to kind of make a decision where they say, look, we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll get y'all back. And, you know, when we, we figured out what's going on here, we will just hold it because it's not going to make that much difference because people aren't sworn in until January, so they could hold the election sure. in December. You know, and it wouldn't affect uh, it wouldn't affect anything because nobody's getting moved uh, until January. So, you know, I mean, there, there are ways to, to deal with this. And that That's a good use of, of uh, I mean, I'm sure there's an emergency contingency, you know, things to do for this situation. But uh, what I just don't like is the mail in early, early voting and mail in voting. You know, early voting should only right. be done at the place where your your vote is going to be counted. Uh, it shouldn't be any mail-in voting because it goes to the post office. You know, there's no security whatsoever uh, at that point, especially since they're all Union Democrats. Do <laughs> you yeah, want your vote handled by a Union Democrat? And think about that, you know, especially when they, they code them or they, they had like the secret way of finding out which are the Republican ballots, you know, the ones that end up in the there, – there, you know, there the, yeah.
2: there, There's no an, secret. There's an R right on your envelope.
1: Oh, so there you go. That's stupid, yeah. So, so yeah. the, the, they probably sort for that. They probably have voting. That'd be interesting to go to the post office. Could you show me with the Republican and Democrat uh, sorting machines, please? Yeah. <laughs> when the when the votes come in, I bet you they've got them. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, how many how many times do you get a chance to walk back uh, and see what goes on in a post office? Not often. Kind of I'd be very afraid to walk
2: and, back there because uh, yeah, because I have a feeling. Cause I, I just feel like my my tax dollars are being completely wasted by like 10 people just standing around watching mail go down the chute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, they actually do. I've, I've had, uh, you know, various delivery jobs in my past where I had to go visit post offices and yeah, you know, I mean, there is some work going on, but I, I wouldn't call it a, a frenetic pace if that's what you're looking for. But uh, no, you know, mail does get out. It's just, it's just a different motivation. But, um, uh, the fact that the the mail votes should never go through anybody uh, except the person casting and the person counting. You know, we still have a problem here in, in Santa Rosa County too. We, and I, I tried to talk to our our chief voting person. I said, "Can you do something about these DS uh, or DM two hundred machines? Because they have they have the capability to have modems put in, and you know anything that can transmit data, I'm suspicious of. Because if you can transmit, it, it can be hacked. I'm like, just have an optical Correct. scanner. You know, carry the results, call in the results, do it by phone, do it in front of everybody. You know, just make it all obvious. Uh, so the vote counters can see the count. You know, the call, you can see they're saying the right numbers. Here are the numbers. Here's what we're calling in. You know, person at the other end, yep, got the same numbers, verified, we're good. That's all you have to do. I don't, I don't there that should never be a voting true. machine. Yeah, but they won't get rid of them. They say, you know, and in fact, our own uh, uh, Tappy Valenda is our voting person. I've tried to get her on the show. Um, we sort of corresponded off here quite a bit. She's like, well, state law says, you know, they specify voting machines and this one's, you know, authorized. And it's like, I don't give a damn. I don't want it. You know, a lot of other people didn't either. We had some pretty big response on Facebook to get rid of all these machines. But, you know, I'm suspicious. If it can transmit, it, it should never be used as a voting machine. If it, Correct. Even if the parts aren't there to transmit, if parts can be put on so that it can transmit data, it should never be used. It can transmit. It could be hacked. Anyway, back to you. Correct. Let's change the yeah, subject. So, uh, you know, <laughs> obviously, you
2: know, did. Digital is taking over the world, and I was in Canada this past weekend, and
0: oh, all I have Canada. to say
2: no, yeah. no, no, all I have to say is, oh, Canada.
1: So oh, Canada. no. What's wrong? <laughs> what happened to my hometown? <laughs> so this is what happened when my, my parents took me away as a kid. I didn't have a chance to fix it there. So what happened? So, you
2: so Toronto. Look, look, I, uh-huh. First, we went to Toronto, uh-huh. and that is probably about the worst planned city that I have ever, ever been a part of, that I've ever visited. Um, huh. All you have okay. is so, someone who bought, it, it, what it looks like is someone who just bought a piece of property and just put a high rise up. No imagination. They're, they're all boxes. I mean, all uh-huh. these, I mean, 50 floors, 30 floors, they're all just boxes or rectangles I guess you'd call them. Um, right. There's no imagination to any of the buildings. There's no character to the buildings. And their choice of you know, every city has their own little theme food or theme restaurant that you know you just have to go to, um, right. and you know when you're in that city. Mm-hmm. Toronto. I, I asked people like, so what? You know, I asked a couple of people what it is, and their response was Boston pizza.
1: <laughs> that, that's the, that's the, the 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 Canadian specialty of Toronto. That's terrible. You know, so now I'm, I'm going to telling Toronto's you, it
2: was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, huh. You know, I, I, parking's always a problem in big cities. Right. Um, but this, but the way Toronto does it is just even worse. Um, I've park, I parked in about, I think, three different places. Oh. One of the places I parked in, it says public parking, so I follow the signs and I go inside. And I see the little pay by plate thing. I'm like, okay. And I'm mm-hmm. looking for a spot, and I saw something over to the right, but didn't. It didn't look like I could get there, so I went over to the left. There's no parking. I started going upstairs uh, to because it was five floor parking. And it was all hmm. residential parking, and I wasn't allowed to park there. Hmm. So, the, so, I went back down and realized that part to the right I should have went to. But it was like five spots or ten spots for public parking. And all the rest was residential parking, and that's the way they did it. In every spot we went to, it was almost all re- you know mostly residential with a few. Uh, public parking spots, uh, but you know we went to the uh, St. Lawrence Market, and I will say mm-hmm. that St. Lawrence Market was pretty cool. I don't know if, if it was there when you were there or not, but it oh, obviously listen, no,
1: my, no. My father dragged me there, and he, he talked Greek to all his Greek friends. She <laughs> was really exciting. Experience. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, oh, yeah, let's, let's go. Shops, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. <the butcher laughs> I had to go to a place really where
1: cool. I I couldn't talk to anybody. It was very exciting. Yeah. So yeah, I remember yeah. those days. <laughs> Well. Yeah,
2: so, I mean, it, I mean that is a very cool place, but obviously we couldn't buy really anything there because we had to bring it back over the border. Plus, we're still nice. traveling, and you know, mm-hmm. carrying meats just didn't
1: really quite make sense. Um,
0: so we have meat here, by the way. Pretty,
1: what's that? Yeah. So we have meat here, too. That's pretty good. You know what I missed, though, about Canada well, when I was there with my daughter was the uh, uh, they had these maple ice cream bars that we just lived on.
3: <laughs> they were so good. There's and you can't get, maple you can't get everything.
1: Yet. Well, of course it's yeah, maple everything. in mean, I mean, Canada.
3: It was
2: yeah. maple, I mean, I mean, I guess honey in America is the equivalent of maple in Canada, I guess Pretty because much. they mm-hmm. treat maple yeah they pre- treat maple the same way that they treat uh honey, um mm-hmm. so it was kind of crazy, but then uh, there, uh we got we um great story here, I won't name drop any names, but uh, we were at one of the hotels checking in, and it was uh-huh. supposed to be the hotel that was closest to the fall, uh we went to Niagara Falls. okay, good um.
1: Yeah, did you so lean did, over oh the yeah, edge by the, way, and, uh, the only thing I, only thing I did still... enjoy
2: about Toronto, the CN, yeah. the CN Tower was pretty cool. Um,
1: uh-huh. I will
2: say that. Was it moving? So, yeah, so did you feel it move? The CN.
1: Oh yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> Is that wild? <laughs> yeah, of
2: course. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, every—I mean, I've been up in the Sears Tower in Chicago. I've been up in the Empire State Building. They all move, and they're built to
1: move. So. Oh, exactly. Um, but, you know, but yeah. But so we yeah, but you actually feel that one so, moving. And the, yeah, the elevator. Yeah, you
2: doing it. It yeah. is kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and the elevator, know, going up falls. is okay. But going up in the mm-hmm. elevator is okay. But when you come down, when you just, like, drop out and all of a sudden there you are, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. exciting.
2: Yeah, a lot of people were freaked out by it. But, you know, I've been in tons of those types of elevators. So it didn't really faze me at all. Oh. Um, but, Brave uh, man. So, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, so we went to <laughs> Niagara Falls. We checked into our hotel, which is supposed to be the closest uh, hotel to the falls. Mm-hmm. And uh they said that our room was um under maintenance, oh. and so i didn't have a room I didn't have a room at that hotel oh um, so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? You know are you going to put me in a room that's not a beautiful the hall they the didn't bottom, have any you know, other rooms. Yes. Not not with a falls view, and uh-huh. I, I specifically wanted to pay for the yeah I paid extra for the falls view of course
0: right because if you're gonna uh-huh.
2: be in the hotel you might as well go ahead and do it right of course um, so then but they but they did upgrade us and we ended up uh, going from a three point five star hotel to a five star hotel oh my with, did uh, you get falls view with the even with I had view of both falls ooh it, it was one of the most incredible experiences. I will say we we got upgraded to the Hilton, I will say that. And I did okay. not have to pay the Hilton prices.
1: Um, which huh. was really nice. No no Trump because,
2: Tower because uh what's that?
1: There's no Trump Tower there. I was just curious. No Trump Tower. Okay.
2: Yeah, so but yeah, but no, but the Falls View was incredible. Um there was a casino there's casinos of course everywhere, ev- in, everywhere now, but uh huh. so there's a casino across the street. And so we walked over there uh, and just – I was going to throw $20 down real quickly on the craps table because I love playing craps. But you can no longer throw money down on the table. It is what? all digital. It's all digital. You oh. you you put your money into a slot like you do the slot machines, and right. you press how much you want to bet, and then you press where you want the bet to go. Oh. And um, And, and then – and in, in, instead of having a felt, mich- a felt to roll the dice on, um, mm-hmm. it is just a solid piece of glass because you could see your your digital chips on the you know, on the glass. Oh. Um, and so the dice the dice don't roll properly on glass in comparison to felt.
1: <laughs> because sliding um, across and, the top like ice. <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and it, it, it was it was such a horrible experience. Um, I did take a picture of it, and uh, I did post it on my page. I'll post it on the uh, Action Radio page.
0: Yeah, yeah, be uh, curious. It's
2: just,
1: Modern gambling. It, it,
2: it, it was one of the worst experiences I think I've ever had and the guy let me take a picture he uh, cuz i was the only one at the table i'm like hey can i take a picture of this i've never seen this before he goes well i'm not. you're not allowed to i'm like yeah i know but can i do it he goes well i i got to go tie my shoe real quickly so do whatever you have to do <laughs> <laughs> so it, yeah. it was really no, cool he was really cool about it
0: yeah. yeah
4: yeah
2: he was really cool about it i took a quick picture and you know i didn't you know, no selfie or anything like that. I just took a picture of just strictly the table so everyone could see the digital effect. And it's it's just so horrible that – and if this is the new way of doing it, I'll never probably go to the casino again, which I don't go very often anyways. But I do like playing craps because uh, you could throw down some money and let it sit for a very long time sometimes so you don't spend as much money.
1: Um, but, yeah, it was uh, very yeah. – Don't gamble at all. Those you spend very... even less. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's no and that's kind yeah. of where
2: yeah. – I I, that was kind of my sign. You know, you're done.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, actually, I uh, the only time I've done any real casino stuff, I was in Monte Carlo. And it was small stakes. I thought, this is my Europe trip, and I was dirt poor. And I, I had, um, I think, uh, what is it, 12, 15 francs. I said, I, this will last me about, you know, five minutes. <laughs> okay, we'll see what I can do. Yeah. Well, I started winning at Roulette. And I, so I watched the table for about 20 minutes of curiosity, trying to see if there was a pattern to that table, and there was. Apparently, there was a pattern, and so I could see that the uh, the ball was consistently falling in the the top third numbers. So I bet the the top third, and it took a while, but I, I turned my 12 francs into 180 francs and had a really nice dinner. So it can be done, but that was a fluke. I don't expect that to ever happen again. But uh, that's my well, Monte think, Carlo I used Yeah.
2: Well, I usually do good in craps. Uh, mostly because uh-huh. I, I can kind of see the dice and see how, you know, because there are patterns. You know, gambling huh. is all about patterns. Uh, yeah. So you can kind of see it on the dice. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you have dice that aren't rolling, all mm-hmm. your patterns get thrown away. Um, and, and I'm pretty much, I, and I've always been convinced that there's some magnets involved with uh, dice. Um, well, they and put just, mercury it, in them really
1: sometimes. Seems, they do all kinds of nasty yeah, things. It, but no, no
2: and dice really is perfect. it
0: obvious.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It, but it really seemed obvious. When I was trying to roll the dice, and I threw them pretty hard, and mm-hmm. they just would not roll, and when they did roll, it would pop up and fall off the table. Because hmm. um, you know, you know, every gambler is superstitious, and my, one of my superstitions is, is if I don't hit that back wall, I'm going to crap. And don't you
1: have to hit the back wall, or is that not required anymore? I thought you had it to must not wall. be
2: required because I kept rolling, and of course, it's Canada, so all rules are different. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, Canada, we don't have to hit the back wall because we want to save our back wall. Eh? you know. And this, exactly. Uh, we we, but, we you know, make our, our tables more say, like uh, I, ice hockey. It's, it's like an ice hockey ring. But eh? I,
2: I, you know, I'm almost out of time. I'm almost out of time. But I do want to say the stereotypes uh-huh. for Canada are completely true. Um, <laughs> every, time, every time I ran into someone, they apologized to us, <laughs> even though it wasn't their fault. <laughs> they just would yeah, apologize. I think yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah See, if you're black, they'd time, apologize even more. All
2: you, you know, they're all yeah. friendly. Of
1: course, all course, them are yeah, but friendly. It's about just saying being politically correct. If you're black, they'd apologize even more just because Canada is so yeah. you know, woke right now. It's it's terrible It's happened. It's really disgusting. Well, you know,
2: Toronto… Um, uh-huh. Here's an interesting tidbit about Toronto. What I was very surprised about because we did go to Chinatown, and Chinatown was the best part about um, Toronto, in my opinion. But there is—it's well, actually a neighborhood. Uh,
1: for, it's actually someplace yeah, it you know, with, with character. Well, yeah. yeah.
2: But yeah, so uh, for, uh, um, the demographics of Toronto are r- was very surprising to me because I'm looking around, and all we see is Indian and Asian. And um, yeah. and most of them um, were Sikh because you know they had the turban on, um, and so we yeah went, that was the policy uh, so of Canada to...
1: Sikh and you shall find yeah that's that's how we got all the Sikh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So but I looked and the demographics of Toronto are very strange. It's forty seven percent European. They don't call it white. They just call it European.
0: Oh. Twenty um, one
2: twenty one percent is South Asian. So that would be your India Pakistan. Um, and then Asian. you have that,
1: that's 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 is. Indian and Pakistani. That's not Asian. I, I don't care what anybody says. It, it, South Asian. That's, I, that's I a made-up term.
2: I, yeah. I know. Okay, fine. It is. I I agree, but it is part of Asia. Um, and then you had like twenty or like nineteen percent Asian. So, I mean, it, it's basically almost a 50-50 split between um, white and Asia. Um, so when I was in Canada. In, mm-hmm. When I
1: left Canada in the sixties, it was white. It was the whitest place on Correct. earth. I mean, Toronto was, was white. Exactly. You know, and then folks from Jamaica came and India and different places. A lot of folks came from Hong Kong. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the folks, as the British uh, ended their, their, uh, their, I guess, ownership of Hong Kong, when the agreement ended, uh, a lot of folks went to, uh, well, mostly the West Coast. They went to Vancouver and, then, of course, the West Coast cities, Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco and, and Los Angeles. But a lot came to Toronto. And so you had a big Asian population, so you had Jamaicans, you had uh, Hong Kong folks, uh, and then uh, I guess well, Indians came. Now and and now, at, it's, now it's diverse. Oh, now boy. they're going to
2: take in the Ukraine. They're going to take in a lot of Ukraine. Um, they, have, they have volunteered
1: to take in uh, refugees from Ukraine. Uh-huh. You mean Biden's war? So <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a third hour. We've got Captain Tom Stewart coming back. Um, but so we got uh, we got Wendy here who's not feeling too well. So uh, do you do you have well, any yeah, words uh, for well,
2: oh, O go, Canada? Uh, so I'm gonna go make my own chocolate bar today because that's part of the tour at the Hershey factory. So you I'm gonna make, make, make my own chocolate bar. Yeah,
0: what you you call get them, to make Bill
2: your bars?
1: own chocolate bar. I think it'll be Bill Bar. I don't know.
2: I I I it's a lot you of stress trying to figure out what I'm. Well, it's a lot of stress trying to decide what I want to inside my chocolate bar. So it, I'm, oh. I'm stressing over this, what I'm going to put in it. So Billy bars. On it next call them retail.
1: Billy bars. <laughs> Wendy, All right, what you should guys call have us? a good rest of the show. All right, see you later. Let's <laughs> see, bad. I was hoping to get a little Wendy engagement here. Wendy, what do you think Bill should call his his, his chocolate bars? He, he went to Hershey, Pennsylvania. He thinks he's a chocolatier now. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Just, just call it gone after he eats it. <laughs> well, Gone, exactly.
1: Yeah, they're gone bars. How do you, why do you call them gone bars? Because well, as soon as you see them, they're gone. Got it. Hey, listen, right. uh, I know you're not feeling too well today, so we'll, just, we'll, we'll kind of take it easy on you. But uh, at least we need a few giggles and, and a couple of other things. Uh, let's get your theme. And I have asked Chancey to join us, and so hopefully she will. Okay. Part of our, our, our wild women of Wednesday wellness. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. But let's get your theme, and let's see how much you, you feel up to uh, talking. Okay. Here we go. Do you really want the truth? Do you have questions you can't ask in church? Welcome to the Oh My God Report. Wendy Arthur is more concerned with truth than propaganda, putting more value in scripture than religion, and more about you and your relationship with God than your membership in any church. This is Christianity with a Kick. Yeah, I just want to say to our new listeners in Algeria, oh, my God, yes, we do have an no Oh, My God report. Enjoy it. It'd be a wonderful time. <laughs> I guess it's more Indian. <laughs> I'll work on my my Arab sense, <laughs> <accents>, But uh, <laughs> but uh, Algeria, yeah, so, so the, the Muslim world that does listen to us, although we did lose Iran, so the, the Persians have gone. I guess that uh, the Mullahs finally heard about Action Radio and they said, oh, no, we're not going to have that in our place here, Nope. So they, uh, I, I got to work on my Persian accents too. I'm not really good this morning with accents. Well, I should stick to Russian and Indian. I do much better with those. But yeah, we do have a, a fairly substantial Muslim world um, audience from, from Indonesia um, to, it used to be Iran, was Afghanistan, but I think those are mostly uh, U.S. service people because after Brandon surrendered, uh, Afghanistan kind of dropped off the map. But to Algeria, it's a big country and they're now, you know, we, have, we lost Morocco too, but we got Algeria. So I guess this, if we spoke French, we'd be better off, but uh, that's okay. You know, I mean, all countries are welcome. You uh, know, everybody's welcome to our, our party right. here. And uh, we will help any any That's country, right. any nation. We've got a Skype line, any nation, anywhere in the world. If you want to learn how to write legislation, and if it won't get you killed, then uh, we're certainly willing to help you because we don't want to endanger anybody. Because uh, the places in the world, That's you right. can't do what we do here. And we're very grateful that we can do it here, at least for now. We'll see what uh, what the, the yeah. Republican-Democrat coup <laughs> comes up with next. But for today, <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. There
4: you go. What's up? Well, yeah. you know, I... I guess I I will start off with that little um, thing about – because, you know, we've got the midterm elections coming up. And uh, God says that that's what man calls them is midterm elections. And he said he laughs at that term. Hmm. And he said he calls them the my terms elections.
0: Oh,
1: the my terms (laughs) elections? Yeah, because it's going to be on my terms? Well, you know, he's kind of got a point.
4: I mean, pretty much everything is. Yeah, He, yeah, he is fixing to uh, to yeah, you know, wreak havoc on on evil. And well, you um, said
1: something last uh, week about uh, you know, danger and, and strange times coming. We just happen to have a hurricane crossing most of Florida today. Is is this related?
4: Um, well, this is hurricane season, you know, for, for this part of the world. Um mm-hmm. so I'm but i it I think that the intensity of them um are changing. Hmm. Uh, but and, – and look for just incredible abundance of rain everywhere. It's going to be uh, pretty drenching um, in, in the near future. So um, – and which I'm, I'm sure will cause all kinds of, you know, havoc.
1: Um, We've got floods and, somewhere. Don't we have floods right now?
4: Oh, there's always a flood somewhere at the moment. But, um, yeah, because that's coming here. So just so – yeah, uh, but the on God doesn't work on our calendar, the Gregorian calendar. He works on the Hebrew calendar, and because okay. God is outside of time, we need to remember that that God is outside of time. But He yeah. is very well aware that we we are in time here, and mm-hmm. um, so therefore, calendars on how we keep time and and what we do, um, and everybody has the same 24 hours in a day, mm-hmm. um, but it's not on our Gregorian calendar. It is on the Hebrew calendar. So um, we are currently in the 10 days of awe, um, and that started Saturday, and it will end on October 5th, which is Yom Kippur, mm-hmm. which is the day of atonement. But the 10 days of awe is uh, a really important time because that's when God opens the books and our thoughts and our deeds are weighed in his scales. Hmm. And this is the time when we need to make sure that we are right with God. And if we've fallen short in any area, just ask for forgiveness because god is always ready to forgive i, I know I, i've been talking a lot lately about what god's fixing to do with the wicked and the unrepentant and the stiff neck but i'm telling you god is a god of love and and those who belong to him are going to be protected through all of this mess mm-hmm. um but he he is always willing to forgive people he loves his creation he wants you to ask him to forgive you he is waiting to forgive you so if you've mm. fallen short in any area, in any thought or deed or action, whatever, just just ask him to forgive you. And if you are truly uh, repentant and willing to turn away from you know what you've been doing wrong, then he, he is so willing to take that that confession and and forgive you and give you a fresh start. That that's who he is. So take advantage of this ten days of awe, and it's not. This is not the only time when you can ask for forgiveness, obviously, but this is the 10 days where he's opening books and everything is being weighed on the scales. So um, it's kind of an important time. So Interesting. We have election coming in- up.
1: Speaking of uh, weighing on scales. Yeah. So how do you spell awe? Is that A-W-E? Yep. Is it the traditional yep. spelling of it? Yep. Okay. As yep. in awe-inspiring? So-
4: um, as in, I would be standing in awe of God and His power and His holiness. <laughs> oh yeah! And, and all of His His judgments are right. They are right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah anybody holy. that thinks that uh, you know change.
1: this hurricane is a great metaphor for all those who think they can legislate climate change. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Pass a resolution. <laughs> against, you know, pass a resolution against yeah. uh, hurricane Ian. Good luck with that you can file the bill and spend all your lobbyist dollars and uh, it's not going to do anything. So yeah. So all you climate change folks, you know, yeah. Okay, fine.
4: Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hurricane Ian didn't get the memo that you that you made a legislation against it.
1: <laughs> exactly. And you reduced carbon and everything. And look at it. It's
4: still here. It doesn't work. The theory doesn't work. And we and we ruined
1: all those people's lives. We took away their, their, their gasoline-powered cars that were replacing carbon into the atmosphere so that life could continue on Earth. And no, you know, if we were wrong. And you know, oh no. What are we going to do? There's still hurricanes. <sighs> and we worked so hard, too. Oh, well, anyway. It must be tough being a leftist. I
0: know. <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: Because all your theories get destroyed, like all the time.
4: Uh, well, you know, just well, biblical plagues are fixing to come back, um, hmm. but but only on the wicked. They're, you know, in the land of Goshen, the Bible talks about this little town called Goshen, and when the plagues were coming upon Egypt, mm-hmm. those who uh, were following Jesus and who were you know faithful to God uh, mm-hmm. were told to go to the land of Goshen, and. The the flies and the locusts and the frogs and all these things that were just tearing up other towns um, did not touch Goshen. It, w- it was like, you know, the, the old, uh, what do you call that? Remember the old Lost in Space show where they had that shield that would come down, <laughs> you know, and Star Trek, you know, pick that up? Um, that it, it was like this dome was over it, you know, that oh, okay. nothing could come into Goshen Huh. And um so anybody who was in Goshen was was protected and safe that 's hmm. the way it 's going to be um here during this this next uh release of biblical plagues and uh, because it's it 's like God is going to do things that only God can do. And yeah, you know, nobody else is going to be able to orchestrate this or say that you know this happened or th- or that little natural occurrence happened that caused this. No, it's going to be really, really evident that this is God, <laughs> and He's just going to show Himself <laughs> and say, so, "Here, what are you going to do about this?"
1: <laughs> you, well, like I said, that happens all the time. It's really kind of funny. Um, what what's the purpose? Though? Are we supposed to learn from the plague? Is it is is it serving a purpose? How yeah, does it all because, fit in? Um,
4: okay. Well, because God has been challenged, um, and, and that's a whole nother show. But, um, especially with this new false prophet Harari, um, coming out and saying the things that he's been saying, and then all the elitists and globalists who follow Harari and actually call him their prophet. Mm-hmm. And God is saying, um, I'm sorry, but a prophet is one who speaks for God, who speaks for me. He does mm-hmm. not speak for me. He speaks for Satan. Uh, you
0: know. Yeah. So,
4: big difference. Um yeah big difference and so basically uh harari's been calling god out and god's saying no problem (laughs) (laughs) he's the one who said well all god did was make organic things like life you know
1: (laughs) all god did
4: all he did was create you know um organic people and and you know animals and plants and, uh, but we're going to take that a step farther. We are going to go above and beyond God, and we are going to create cyborgs and, you know, um, people who are um, transhuman, you know, where they're part machine, part human. They can't die. If they get sick, it's taken care of, and, and those who are weak are going to get weeded out anyway. And um, and he's he's laid out his plan, man. I mean, just mm. straight from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke, but okay. So God's <laughs> like saying, Yeah. You go ahead and make your plans, buddy, and just watch what happens, you know?
1: So, you know, yeah, you'd, all, you'd all think things. people would learn uh, of all the history of the earth. There's always some idiot that thinks they can control everything, you know, from Genghis yeah. Khan to Adolf Hitler to, uh, you know, yeah. pick a time in history. There's uh, the, the Spanish conquistadors. There's always this, this, this obsession with control. And now we get up to Dr. Fascist, yeah. who's, who's the latest megalomaniac, dictatorial, narcissist, avaricious pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher, you know, and yeah, he's proud of it. He, he doesn't see it. I mean, he sleeps well. You know, I, I know that he has no problem. Uh, the only thing he wishes for is more power. And yet it's the same old thing. And it always ends the same way. You'd think these people would learn, but no. And
4: in the see. process
1: they kill millions. The, the problem is they take millions of people with them. That's the problem.
4: Yes, you know, and, if they were just yeah, and rant God and rave on saying, a
1: soapbox on a street corner, I could deal with that. But the fact that they, they have power and they, they get into government and they take millions of people down with them, that's the problem. And yet they, they keep coming. Well, they, they, you know, there's always that, a new one.
4: That is a problem because God says he, he sees the blood on their hands. And it's not just dripping from their fingertips. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like they're elbow deep in blood of people, you know, blood that they have shed through mm-hmm. what they've done. Um, and and there is no remorse. There is no asking for forgiveness. They don't care. They don't think they need forgiveness. They think this is the way it should be. Um, and well, you can't so, punish and,
1: them that enough because they would never understand it. They wouldn't. They would, they would. You know, you can only punish someone that feels guilty. You can't punish someone that doesn't feel anything. So I'm not sure what you do with some, And there's no way that Dr. Fascist could make up for the, the six million some odd people that have been, uh, that I, I guess, are going to be killed with this, this jab. I don't know what the numbers are, uh, but I've heard some horrendous numbers. We lost a million people in this country, most of which didn't have to die yeah. simply because uh, we, we should have known. The, well, we, we have a, a theory of a, so like a dual epidemic going on uh, at the same time. You know about the COVID, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is the flu epidemic right. uh, that was hidden under it. And so if you listen to our shows, folks, you'll you'll listen to our Thursday panels. You know that. But the thing is, this is all preventable. There's no reason uh, for, for, uh, I think I figured out that maybe maybe 8,000 people would have died from COVID who are all, you know, very old and and very sick with a bunch of other things. uh, If you get down to early treatments and, and those that aren't affected, but it didn't matter. And he doesn't care. And he doesn't care that everybody's, you know, getting all these chemicals injected into them and that high school kids are dropping dead from heart attacks for no reason.
4: You know, oh, other than the fact not. that they got jabbed. It's past yeah. that. He And he doesn't, doesn't care. care. You can't
1: punish him it's,
4: enough. It, it's,
1: not in this world. Well,
4: no, not in this world. But um, you are fixing to see him lose absolutely everything. And Good. before God um, gives him his eternal um, torment place, um, mm-hmm. that he is going to lose everything. And he is going to be in mental torment. And he's going to see what he has put other people through. Uh, and that that was a work from the Lord through one of the prophets, and I was like, oh, Lordy, and not just Fauci, mm-hmm. others as well. Um, and well, so it's a whole we, bureaucracy. We, we're, we're, we're
1: you know, I don't know how but, you hold Brandon, uh, you know, accountable because he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, he thinks he's doing the right thing, reading the cue cards, but the people behind him know he what He knew doing. what he
4: was doing for years before this. Yeah, yeah, okay. For years, so yeah. you know. And um, it, it, th- th- God doesn't say, oh, today you need to repent for everything in your whole life. You know, no, uh-huh. that's not how it, he has spoken to these people and spoken and spoken and spoken. And they have rejected um, his counsel every time. And, uh-huh. where, um, and when you continue to do that, Scripture talks about a seared conscience. You, you get a seared conscience, which means there, there is, there's no right, there's no wrong. You just do what you want. Um, and once you get to that point, there is no return. So, okay. um, that's, that's when basically you seal your own fate. But anyway, um, I just wanted to give you a, a couple of little updates and then I'm going to go try to breathe outside. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can hear it in your voice already. I was, like I said, I was hoping Chancey would call yeah. him, but you guys can connect off the air. Uh, and this is, this is yeah. the beauty of action radio. You know, we really are one big, happy family. Um, and so, any we have so many experts in so many different areas that uh, that would be one place to, uh, you know, certainly ask for help or ask questions. Like, does anybody know about you know this? <laughs> you know, because chances are somebody right. does. You know, and that's this is why yeah. we're all here for each other. This is that's part of the deal. This is why I've I've got I think some of the most interesting and caring and, and wonderful people in the world, you know, right here on this show, and and uh, so we can help each other.
0: Yeah.
4: And, yeah, and, and all of our listeners too. So I, mm-hmm. oh, they're great. wonderful too. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: Hey, did, well, did you hear last Kim Thursday when – um, last Thursday we had a listener writing a bill with Judy Mikovits to uh, get rid of drug advertising? Just a regular listener. Just matched him up. You know,
0: amazing things right. happen here.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, she called and wrote a bill. Uh, and Well, she actually, uh, this is Linda, uh, who wrote a bill. And uh, Judy Mikovits came up with the same bill idea. I said, well, we've got to get you two together. And so I asked Judy, said, you want to write a bill with a listener? She's like, yeah, let's do it. I said, Linda, you want to write a bill with Judy Mikovits? She says, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, so we got them together. And uh, Linda's well, writing I up the bill, and uh, we'll present it uh, probably in a couple because of weeks.
4: Because if they can't advertise, mm-hmm. then, then you won't know what you have. You know, because they make up things and then – That's a good point. And and, yeah. and and say, well, we have the drug for it when you didn't even know it existed. But all of a sudden, mm-hmm. now that there's a cure for it, um, then doctors can say that you have it. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: But don't take it if you have myoplasia, anyway. dysplasia, unknown, you know, metaphysical blood up, you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't take it yeah. if you have Yeah, or if you've been known to
4: breathe at one time, yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton are fixing to bite the dust. And oh. um, not not just because of old age. So, um, well, Jimmy Carter's
1: old. That, I know Bill Clinton has never atoned for Waco, and maybe whoever else he's had killed. But uh, what did what
4: did Jimmy and, Carter well, do? Jimmy Carter has been a sheep in wolves clothing, or a wolf in sheep's clothing for a long time, huh. and, uh, and 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 it'll come out, you know, that he's been involved in all of the, you know. Um, Bringing in terrorists and all that kind of stuff. So he he and huh. you know he gave away the Panama Canal for a reason. Um, so yeah,
0: because he didn't represent us. <laughs> you know, no, he, he, he was
4: not representing us.
0: Yeah.
4: Uh, so yeah, all of that stuff and, and and yeah his cover up is oh I'm a Sunday school teacher and I do Habitat for Humanity and all that kind of stuff. Well, so what you know you're yeah. you're a treason treasonous person and it's going to come out. But anyway, okay. so. Um, Disney scandals are going to continue. And I don't know if you've you know, noticed, but and we, we watch all kinds of news from all over the world. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and, and there's a, a new sheriff in town in Pasco County, mm-hmm. and he is on a rampage against child sex trafficking rings. And Good. every time they do a roundup, every single month, there is at least one Disney employee involved. Uh, and I just like, I think in the past month and the last four weeks, not necessarily the calendar month, but, um, there's been like three or four Disney employees involved that, that were caught in stings. things.
1: Is that Orlando? Um, is Pasco County them, Orlando?
4: Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And around there. Uh, Kissimmee, okay. Orlando. All um, right. so, and he is just on a tear about that because, you know, this, this family park, you know, where everybody brings their children. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not cool, people. <laughs> anyway, so it's not um, what you think. They're going. No, it is not what what you think. And so the scandals are going to continue to come out, and um, their stocks are, you know, uh, on a huge downturn, and they're going to continue to spiral down. They're just going to continue to decline. And whistleblowers are fixing to come out everywhere about what's happening at Disney behind the scenes. Because, huh. you know, people, you know, a lot of people don't know it. there there's all kinds of tunnels that run underneath Disney, um, you know, for employees to get to one place to the other without being seen in the park. Um, huge tunnel system down there. Oh, well, that's that interesting. In no, I believe it. Yeah. Yep, because that's
1: how the cartels work and that's how the Palestinians get to Israel. And, uh, you know, we have tunnels under our border. They have tunnels under their border. If the tunnels under Disneyland, our world, mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all.
4: Yeah. Huh. Yep. Yeah. So too much uh, power, all
1: power corrupts. Yeah.
4: You know. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Now, I'll just tell you firsthand and experience. Um, mm-hmm. when Mike and I were down, at, we lived in Orlando, we, um, were uh, working at a RV rental company. We went to Disney on almost on a daily basis, you know, setting up mm. RVs for people and then right. for vacations. Um, We saw one, we had just gotten done setting one up and were on the way back to the office and saw an RV broke down on the side of the road. Well, you know, Mike being an RV mechanic as well, um, Mm -hmm. we stopped, pulled over to see if we could help. Mm -hmm. Well, here come the troopers yelling at us because it was supposedly on Disney property. No, it wasn't. It was on the interstate at at one of the um, exits, you know. Well, they considered that Disney property because it was it went to Disney, you know, and uh, and and we had to move that. And I said, "Sir, if it was able to move, it would be moved." We are here to see if we can get it running for this man. And he just had an attitude, this trooper, and um, and he said, "Well, he says you you better you know get this thing off because or we're gonna, he's going to have to have it towed." And I said, "Well, you know, we'll." Right, and just get this thing going as soon as we can. He says, yeah, well, here, he says, even God bows to the mouse. Oh, sh- And I just <laughs> oh, God. stood there oh, with my oh, mouth boy. open. Yeah. And I said, yeah. I don't think so. Moly, he yeah. doesn't know what he just did. <laughs>
1: yeah. Don't make fun yeah, of God. Well, guess yeah. what? Yeah.
4: The mouse is fixing to bow really low. <laughs> Wow.
1: um, No, that's what about um, that's that? Well, no, people believe that. And they think that, I mean, they worship their government. They worship their corporation. You know, there's all kinds of uh, it was a G.K. Chesterton. I have an article by him on on liberalism, you know, said if uh, the danger in people not believing in God is not that they'll believe nothing is that the, the tendency is to believe anything. And so, yes. you know, easy substitutes. And, and communists and Marxist dictatorships count on stripping you. This is what we're, the whole show yesterday was on Giorgio Maloney of Italy and uh, Marine Le Pen of France and Nigel Farage in England. Uh, and then a bit on the, the new prime minister who's like Boris Johnson. But uh, these independent people are coming up there and, and it's God, family, and country. You know, and that those are the things that uh, the dictatorships have to take away from you. And they, they're saying it very plainly now. Exactly. And that's, that's what's going exactly. on here. It's the same thing. You look at the Marxists here. Don't believe in God, don't believe in family, and don't believe in country, you know, and uh, it's not going to work, <laughs> you know, because we're still Americans.
0: No, um, it not But it's interesting. <laughs>
1: yeah. So what happened, what, besides the, the obvious Waco crimes, what else, uh, uh, and, and being probably just a, a treasonous, you know, a slime ball, what's, uh, what's Bill Clinton's um, crime du jour? Is it lately or is it from, uh, when well. I mean, he was in office or just all the whole thing?
4: His entire life. I mean, you know, he has just been crooked his entire life. Okay, um, he looks terrible. Just, uh, well, yeah, he, he should. You know, he looks like he'd been rode hard and put up wet. But yeah. you can't. You just can't uh, leave a trail of bodies. Uh, you know, uh, from your, you know, even before your presidency. I mean, if you go back um, and watch some documentaries from people mm-hmm. who worked for him mm-hmm. when he was governor of Arkansas, it, it's just amazing, you know, all the things that they, they tell you what he was involved in, what he did, and the little mountains of cocaine that was bought and brought into the governor's mansion uh, and distributed from there, and just all kinds of stuff, and, and plus the womanizing and, you know, killing off people who were, you know, a threat to you and, and your... I
1: thought that was more your, Hillary, uh, but uh, I'm not sure. And why isn't o she Hillary
4: involved? Oh, Hillary was... was Oh, she was, but just from afar during the governorship, because her plan of attack was for the presidency, right? Um, and you know, and just like I don't know if you remember that famous quote when she was being questioned about um, all the things that Bill was doing when you know during the the whole blue dress gate uh, mm-hmm. thing uh, in the in, in the White House, and when she said, "We are the president,"
0: <laughs>
4: we are the president.
1: Oh, we are, <laughs> <Okay>. are we? <laughs> That's big of you.
4: You know, so
1: <laughs> I don't remember yeah, we
4: voting for a we. Knew. Yeah. Yeah, well he he was the face but she was the power pretty pretty yeah. much, you know. Yeah. Um and still wants that. Yeah, still wants to be president, but okay. Never gonna happen. because uh, her time well, is, is short too, but bill's going is first.
1: Something? Yeah, I'm sorry, I mean didn't, to didn't interrupt. Um is there something in scripture on that? And somebody that wants something too much. I mean, she doesn't want it because she wants to make the country great. She doesn't want it because she wants to make oh, America's no. lives better. She wants it for sheer power and control over everybody because she knows best. What, exactly. what does that say about somebody that wants something so much? You almost have to deny it to them just because they want it so much. And sometimes the things that you want the most, unless you have a good motivation, you're never going to get them. She's never going to be president. Nope. You know, and the biggest reason no, is because she, she wants it too much and for what she wants to do with it. So is that in scripture? It's well, got to be, she, there's got to be
0: a, she is a, a just evil. To
4: yeah. well, okay. yeah, she is. If, if you go back and read the story of, of Jezebel and Ahab, mm-hmm. um, when they were king and queen, he was basically the face. He was the king, but she was the one who called all the shots. Hmm. And, um, and this is so, if you look at the parallels, it's just amazing between Bill Clinton and Hillary and Ahab and Jezebel. Huh. And I'm like, oh, and it did not end well for Jezebel, you know, because um, she was told, you know, that by the end of this day, um, because of all the things that she had done, um, and it, you will be eaten by dogs. And sure enough, her own people threw her out the window and and uh you know, she hit the ground, was dead and then the wild dogs ate her up except for the head and the hands.
1: Hmm. So Interesting.
4: Um yeah. Well and people have it, done that.
1: Uh you know, the 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 in Romania, the, the dictators they are shot by their own people. Mussolini was killed and hung upside down in the town square. You know, people if you're really evil and cruel, they've had enough. You know, but um yes. the really the truly evil don't are looked at as like saints you know this is why dr fauci is uh i should say fascist dr fascist is so evil because he's so good at what he does he's like mengele dr mengele and joseph goebbels the the, the propagandist rolled into one and he yeah. seems to <laughs> escape he really is you know and he seems to escape all the evil that he's done people not only don't blame him for killing a mil- million people in this country needlessly uh they say oh, it was a good thing he was there it might have been a lot worse. You know they're so deceived, and so I don't know. It's so obvious that uh, this guy is a megalomaniac, dictatorial, you know, assassin of a million people, and he doesn't care.
4: He doesn't care one bit. No, he does not. No, well, that wasn't not just he doesn't care. It was his plan. Right. It that is the globalist plan is to depopulate the world. Yep. To just like the Georgia Guidestone says, to five hundred million. So you know, between there, there's a big difference between 500 million and 8 billion currently. Yeah. So think about it.
1: Yeah, a whole lot. But It's
4: okay. Seven because, and a half billion. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's he's been down, you know, and um, and thinks he's going to get away with everything that he's done by stepping down and not being in that position of authority at the moment. But that's not how it works on God's uh, scales.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. Should be very interesting. We shall yep. see what happens. So yeah. I know
4: uh, Chanty's turn to come on, and I hope you all have a great report.
1: Well, I hope so, too. I don't see her yet. In fact, I, I have a number here. Maybe she's yeah. calling from a different number again. <laughs> I wonder if this is a number from last time. Um, I'm going to find <laughs> out. I, I think I forgot to write down last time. And if it's, if it's a bad call. We've had a, we had a couple of bad callers uh, last week. And it's like, you can't do that, folks. Oh. Because then you go on the ban list and you never get on again. So I'm just going to check this number out uh, against my, my others. And then I'll I'll see if I can uh, bring them on. As long as they, they go through the screening procedure. And we're going to have somebody call screening at some point uh, fairly soon. I've actually been talking to some folks. And hopefully that'll that'll work out really well. All right. So so listen, oh, you did really cool. well. You're here for the whole report. I'm impressed. I'm trying. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're just, you know, doing God's work, as you always do. Uh, And so uh, the next thing to do is to take care of yourself this week. Talk to our folks. We've got our, our, you know, women of wellness for a reason. You know, we can all get in better shape. That's the whole point.
4: Well, I've I've never had to deal with a mold problem before. So, yeah, I need to get some insight.
1: (laughs) Well, if it's black mold, it's deadly. Um, But I don't think that's what it is. But you've got, obviously, or or you wouldn't be here. But uh, it's a problem. And and I never thought of it. You know, But to definitely talk to our folks, and they'll, they'll be able to take care of it. I'm just going to take a quick look on all my charts about this phone number, and if it looks good, uh, I'll bring them on. Or let me, let me just – I'm going to take a chance right now. I don't often do this, but let's see if it is uh, Chancey okay. on this other number. So let's, let's bring them on. Uh, Chancy, is that you, or have I totally uh, – got somebody else on the line.
5: Hey, this is Brian, and I'm uh, Chancey's business partner. She asked me to call in this morning. Oh,
1: okay, Brian. Yeah, okay, good. So I hear a clock in the background. Are, are you on a schedule?
5: I'm on my, uh, that's my car blanker. I'm in the car. (laughs)
1: Okay. (laughs) Well, well, hopefully you'll be on for more than a few minutes. Um, Do you you have any, do you, well, Brian, it's nice to have you on the show. Do you have any mold advice uh, for, for Wendy before she goes?
5: Uh, yeah, just stay away from it. (laughs) There's there's almost no getting away from it these days. I mean, every, it's all over the place, but you know, just, uh, try to detox yourself. we we uh, we've had pretty good luck with our oxygen therapy and some of the ozone therapy and seems to be working out pretty well for people. Okay,
4: okay. cool. I will check into that.
1: Yeah, g- well, go take it easy have- now and uh, yeah, get a hold of uh, Brian and Chancy and uh, the energetics folks after the show, and I'll get y'all you connected. Okay. You're all you're on the, the group chat, so that'll be easy for you guys to reach other, each other. All
4: right, thanks, guys.
1: Okay, take care, Wendy. Oh, contacts. Bye, bye. Oh, I guess oh, not. We'll do-
4: uh, w- Wendy Arthur on Facebook or, or Dimensions Ministries. Thank you. <laughs> <I should> go. <laughs> You're painting fast there.
1: Yeah, so Wendy has a mold, uh, I guess, infestation there, so we'll see what's going on. We've got to turn your car blinker off, dude.
5: Uh, if we can. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I can.
1: Because I hear that, so let me play. Uh, let me play our opening theme here, which I made for Chancy. But now that we have uh, our, our Wild Women of Wednesday Wellness, um, Paige Ward and Lindsay Horton, I'll play this. And you're our guest today, so I, you won't be uh, on what we do uh, do this as well. But uh, let me just play this, and I'm right back in a minute, we'll see if we can get some of the other folks to join us. What is health? What does it take to stay healthy? We have a longer lifespan than a hundred years ago. But is the quality of life any better? A 100 years ago, their food was better. They got more exercise. They weren't as fat. They didn't have preservatives, antidepressants, sugar in everything, and they didn't have vaccines. If you talk about alternative healthcare, people think of crystals, incense, strange candles, crystal balls, Ouija boards, notions, potions, lotions, and total hippies telling you too, Detox, man. So let's change our system of sick care into wellness. Let's get healthy. Let's lower our stress, stop taking in poisons, eat and drink organic, clean food, and let's have a chat with Chancey Terry, because this is Wine, Weed, and Wellness Wednesday. Yeah, I'm going to change that theme around a little bit. Um, so, uh, Brian, if you want to give your last name too, because uh, you're, you're, I guess, kind of like a public figure now with our, our, our Wild Women of Wellness. So, you get to work with all these folks. That must be fun. It, it's <laughs> an interesting bunch. Indeed.
5: The-
1: right? Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Still here.
1: Okay. Well, good. Well, let's hear your story. Um, I, I don't know if uh, I hope some of the folks are joining us. If not, I'll just have to pick your brain for wellness and you know hear what's going on. But uh, you were a Navy pilot, I understand.
5: Yeah, I flew for the Navy for 25 years and uh, retired down here. Then I went up to Fort Rucker and instructed for them for uh, about five years, and then they came up with the vaccine, so I quit.
1: Okay. Well, you give going to be Dr. Fact, big Leon. Oh. That.
5: Yeah.
1: Okay, now I was going to say, you might want to stick around for the next hour because Captain Tom Stewart, who's nationally known for his uh, crusade against the, uh, the COVID jab, uh, is going to be on he has another guest as well. And so if you if you have the time you know stick around feel free. If you don't I understand too, but uh, you might want to listen uh, when that comes on as well. But uh yeah. So so they, they try to make have the jab too, huh? That's crazy.
5: Yeah, that was a contractor up there for the army and the, the company was mandating it. So I left and came down here. Mm-hmm. let Dr. Viglione try my oxygen machine and she really loved it. So she and I opened up a little uh little studio across from her from her office and uh then i met chancy at the, one of the rallies that, that that were held i think you were down there talking on the field as well but anyway chancy called me and texted me and uh came out tried it out she set up shop in there with me and uh been working together and then Lindsay came in and Paige came in so we kind of all been working together for i don't know about a year now
1: that's wonderful. Yeah, I've had uh, all of them on the show, and so we sort of share Wednesdays now because we try to get them all at once, but not everybody can make it every every Wednesday. I'm not sure which one of uh, the, the Chansey, Lindsay, or, or Paige uh, folks are going to join us, but we'll see. If not, like I say, we shall continue on because I'm curious about this oxygen uh, thing. Now, th- th- this might tie in interestingly, with uh, with being a, a Navy pilot. I, mean, I was a flight instructor, and I wanted to do what you did, and I wanted to fly jets and what. Well, you can tell me what you were flying. But um, I couldn't do it. I was wearing glasses at 19, which kind of ended my military career very quickly. So I went into civilian aviation, and it took me years. You know, I eventually got the money for flight school, but that was in 89, and I taught until 92, and I'm all set for the airlines. And then, of course, in 92, they all go broke. So nobody was being hurt. In fact, <laughs> yeah. there, there were, so timing is not my specialty, right? So, so, all these things, so all these pilots, thousands and thousands of pilots were laid off. And by the time they were hiring again, you know, I, I couldn't fly because all my students left because there were no airline jobs. And so uh, I lost all my flight skills, and it would have cost me, you know, thousands of dollars to get back into it, and I never could quite do that. So now, hopefully, Action Radio, besides doing really good work and, and changing the entire political landscape forever um, with what we do with citizen legislation, hopefully, I, I'm on my own jet. So I'm going to do all the things I wanted to do in my 20s, just do them in my 60s. And so I'll just do maybe a little, but uh, I might have to uh, get you to teach me how to fly my Viper Jet Mark II. So if you still remember how to do it, then uh, then we got to talk. So just quickly, what were you flying? And then we'll get on to oxygen in a little bit.
5: Yeah, I flew H-60s for most of my career and Bell 206s for most of the time when I was instructing. And then uh, uh-huh. the EC-145 for the Army, yeah. So I was helicopters just about the whole time. I just like all the Navy guys, I got a commercial fixed wing before I went helicopters. But, yeah, I spent my whole career flying helicopters.
0: Hmm. Did you
1: ever transfer or want to transfer to the airlines?
5: No, not really. I mean, the time I started up at Fort Rucker, you know, I'm 59 now. So by the time I could match what they were paying me, I would have been 8 to 10 years in. The airlines Then, right. So I just decided not to ever do that.
3: It did
1: okay, appeal to curious. me, but I, just, I never did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think flying big jets would have been kind of cool. I think it's so automated, though, now. I don't know if it would be, be any fun. I mean, I want to do loops and rolls and wild stuff and, uh, you know, uh, yank and bank and crank and uh, do all kinds of stuff over the Gulf. So i got to find out a nice little big or a big practice area, you know, where we can go have fun. Yeah. Um, maybe get a we'll few just of those. Let's go get you a little
5: along. Stearman. Get a Stearman open cockpit. It'll be a lot cheaper for
1: you. Uh, no, I don't want a Stearman. I want speed. I want, I want my jet. You know, I, I feel the need, the need for speed. You know, I've been up in the tournament. Actually, that's, it's funny you should mention that because before I went to uh, flight school, this is Sierra Academy out in, uh, in California. I was in the San Francisco Bay Area. I went out to this place called uh, Vintage Aircraft Company and out in Sonoma Sky Park, and they had a couple of steermans. they've now got a P-40, uh, they've got some interesting airplanes, and they had a, a gravel strip, so when I became an instructor, I actually used their gravel strip for, for teaching, you know, actual soft field landings, which I found out later, insurance said we couldn't do, but by then I'd already trained a bunch of students, so it was okay. Anyway, um, but they had a couple of steermans. so before I went to flight school, I said to the, I think what was name? Prevost, Chris, Chris Prevost, amazing pilot, amazing uh, guy, um, I said, I'm going to go to flight school, I'm going to be an instructor, I said, I want you to show me everything. I never want to be scared by the student. He's like, big grin come over his face. He says, is everything? <laughs> yeah, everything. He says, you really want me to show you everything? <laughs> I said, I said, for a third time, yeah, I want you to show me everything. He's like, okay. <laughs> so he's just laughing, right? So we hop in the plane, and I put on my parachute and uh, get the instruction on it. And the guy went by it so fast, I said, look, stop. I may actually have to use this thing. So I want a real briefing. Don't just, don't just buy, just you know, tell me how to do it. He says, okay, fine. So I got the real briefing. And then uh, Chris explained that you have got a little mirror in a steerman. okay? So is a, a big biplane. It's probably the strongest airplane ever built. For the folks that aren't, aren't sure about it, it can pull 12g, uh, from what I've heard. And you're not gonna you're not gonna break this airplane. And so it was the perfect plane to go see all this kind of crazy stuff. So uh, there's a mirror. So you sit in the front, and, and the instructor sits in the back, and the mirror is there so they can look and see if you're you know throwing up or whether you're actually enjoying it. So I learned very quickly in an airplane uh, for my lessons that if you completely relax, you don't get stressed out. And you don't get sick. So that's what I did. Chris, uh, you know, he gives me the, the sign, like, okay, we're ready to go. And I was like, all right, fine. So we're up several thousand feet up. And, uh, you know, he starts diving down, gets some airspeed. And I, of course, put my head against the backrest and completely relax. And he's looping and rolling and doing things. I had no idea what he did. But it was, it was pretty cool. And he levels off. and He looks at me, and I look at him and give him a thumbs up. He's like, okay, <laughs> let's do more. <laughs> so then he gets more speed, cranks it up much more. We're all over the sky again. It, I guess lumped or whatever we did. I don't know. But as we're pivoting around the world, and I'm just watching the world spin around this airplane, this is—it was beautiful. It was really fun. And of course, he levels off and he looks at me again. I'm like, thumbs up. He's like, uh-oh. He gives me the, the rolling eyes like, oh, geez. All right, let's see if I can uh, stop this guy. So the third was incredible, you know. And I, just, I completely relaxed anyway. So the point of all this was that um, that it, it was a fascinating experience, and just the beat, and ever since then, you know, my entire instructing, I was never really worried I'd already seen all this stuff in a chairman. It would be a great thing for pilots to do that now before they go in to, to really, you know, and the civilian pilots, too. You guys that don't do aerobatics, you're making a mistake. Learn what an airplane can do. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, and I know that goes goes a metaphor for life, too. But anyway, that was, that was my, uh, my steering experience. Yeah. Back to you. Yeah. <laughs> well,
5: I, yeah. I never did get good enough where the students still didn't scare me every day.
1: Oh, students would scare me occasionally, but it wasn't about the airplane. It was about what they were going to do. No, I had one person who was suicidal, yeah. I and mean, they, they tried to kill me. Uh, and in fact, they tried to kill another instructor, too. And this instructor hated me so much. This is one of the bad parts of flying. This instructor hated me so much. He said, uh, why don't you take the student up for a face check? He's one of my students, and uh, you know, uh, and he was, I guess he was hoping he would kill me. And, oh, <laughs> guess what happened when, we got, when I got back on the ground? We have words, uh, and it almost got to a lot more than words. But that's another story. All right, so the reason I'm asking about the flying is because you're dealing with oxygen. You're dealing with pressurization, uh, maybe not in a helicopter so much, but you're several thousand feet up. And airliners are pressurized to 8,000 feet, and people don't know that. And you're probably flying at that altitude. Well, where where did you fly? What what, what kind of altitude are we doing in the helicopters, just out of curiosity?
5: We're getting up to around 10 to 12.
1: Okay, are you on oxygen? We lose a
5: lot of... No. Well, we can get up in the Navy. We would have been on oxygen at 10. In the Army, not not possibly. But we lose a lot of performance, so we generally don't go up there. Usually in the okay. eight to eight thousand okay. and below when we're
1: okay. training. So you're already in an oxygen uh, deprived environment. And so did that the physiology of that did that lead to work with oxygen later, or, or was it just a coincidence? How did it, how did it work out? to no. make that transition?
5: No, I didn't. I, uh, I actually got the first machine before I got out of flying because my dad had a TBI from the seventies and what's that he was starting to lose short term memory, a, a traumatic brain injury. He was okay. Navy also. And, uh, huh. anyway, he started losing memory and we, we were looking, he was, he had been doing hyperbaric for 45 days. So
1: okay, what's we that? went and
5: started looking for a hy- hyperbaric chamber where you get under pressure and breathe okay. concentrated oxygen. So it basically presses the oxygen into your blood plasma. So it gets deeper into your tissues and it increases healing and it, it has a lot of good anti-inflammatory effects and there, it Mm. has a lot of good effects on your brain.
0: Okay.
5: But it's very expensive and it's slow. You know, it takes time to get in to pressurize it up to do the hour or two that you do to depressure, get out and you got to go somewhere. Anyway, we were, we were just going to get one, put it in his house and, uh, I stumbled across this LIVO2 system that I'm using, which is much cheaper and much faster. A session's 15 minutes, but instead of being under pressure, you exercise and get your heart rate up, and we have you breathing about 90% oxygen while you're doing that, and that alone has a great anti-inflammatory slash healing effect. And then what we do after about five minutes on concentrated oxygen with an elevated pulse, your oxygen will be 100% on your pulse ox. We will monitor your pulse and your oxygen levels. We'll switch you to 10,000-foot equivalent air, so you're going from 90% oxygen to about 14% oxygen. You're breathing through a mask. You're connected to, to a tube, to these two large reservoirs of concentrated oxygen air and depleted oxygen air. <clears throat> when, we go, when we deplete your oxygen while you're exercising, you go hypoxic. And everybody's afraid of that but at the time intervals that we do it it's not bad for you it's actually very good for you why is it will generally let you get down well we'll let you get down to around 92% on your oxygen and what that does is it sets your body up to try to absorb as much oxygen as it can
0: and the way your body
5: does that is it, it expands your vascular system to increase the surface area it opens your lungs to absorb more oxygen. Your even down to the alveoli, mm-hmm. and it makes your pulse go up even higher. So you're pounding the oh. blood harder through your system. Once we get you to the point where we want you both pulse and oxygen level, then we flip a switch and you go right back to breathe in that concentrated oxygen air and that blast that oxygen through your body via the high pulse, the open system and it also saturates your blood plasma. And it's the first five breaths or so right after your hypoxic challenge that's the magic of the, we call it the adaptive contrast system. But uh, anyway, from my dad's experience, he had more in in the first 15 minute session than he did 45 days of hyperbaric. And he did it 45 days straight. And it was a Mm. lot cheaper. Anyway, he had great luck with it. I bought a system, put it in my house. My blood work was great. My wife's blood work was great. Dr. Big Leon came over, tried it. She said, this is outstanding. We've got to get this available. So that's how we opened that first little shop.
1: So this is like your own business now?
5: Yeah. Yeah, we have a business doing it. Um, it was right across the street. We just moved to Cordova Square in Pensacola, and we've got a location in Pace at Five Points as well now. And I'm... Okay. With Chancy and uh, Chancy's at both the uh, Five Points and the the uh, Cordova Square, and Lindsay and Paige will also be at Cordova Square with us in the same in the same uh, part of the building.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds wonderful. So uh, you yeah. You do so the we're attacking specialty? good
5: health from a multidimensional.
1: I'm yeah. sorry. So so you're, you do the oxygen part of this mostly because I think they have their specialties too.
5: Yeah, they have their specialties in massage and aroma and vibration and sound and all that and counseling. I do I do the oxygen. They can do the oxygen as well. Chancy's incorporated some oxygen into massage at the same time, which has worked really well for people. But um, I also do the ozone therapy, the uh, resonant light therapy, and Beamer therapy. Beamer? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, a pulse electromagnetic with- field. To, you, you lay on a mat or you put a little concentrator on what hurts and it, it it basically, it increases your blood flow. So what we try to do is have people oxygenate first, because you right. get super saturated, and then we have them go get a massage or do some some Beamer therapy or ozone therapy or light therapy, which all is just energetics. It's getting energy right. to the cells so they can repair themselves. So we really don't do anything but give this, give your body what it needs to heal itself, and it works really well. We've all, we're all healing up ourselves, both mentally, physically, spiritually, and every way you can imagine. And uh, yeah, it's just been really great. It's been a really good about 90 days here for me, for sure.
1: So this is just oxygen you're talking about. So you're you're allowing the body to absorb far more than it would normally.
0: Yeah,
5: yeah, and you know, and the one of the One of the keys is the volume of oxygen because I capture the oxygen for about an hour from an oxygen concentrator to fill up about a 700 liter bag. Okay. And then the the air that's had the oxygen removed from it, we trap that in another bag. So those are the two reservoirs. So if I didn't trap it in a reservoir, I'd need like 20 oxygen concentrators to keep up with the volume that you can breathe while you're doing this. Mm -hmm. So the volume is one thing. The other thing is, Keeping your oxygen level that high while you're exercising is very abnormal. So normally, if you started exercising and your pulse went up, your oxygen level would drop two or three points. So you might go mm-hmm. from eight, 97 to mm-hmm. 95% oxygen. Here, even at the first five-minute warm-up, while you're exercising and your pulse is going up, your oxygen level is going up to 100%. For most people. Some people will only go to 99 but most people will go to 100%. And that's abnormal in it. That's that's not human in and of itself, mm-hmm. and that's there's a great effect for that for the people that are afraid to go hypoxic, but just about everybody will come around to the hypoxic side, and that just turbocharges the whole session and makes it logarithmically uh, more effective and quicker, and really deep healing for knees, backs, necks, uh, elbows. It's good for depression. It's good for PTSD. It's it's just helping all kinds of people in ways that I never imagined when I first started. It. Okay, we let's
0: can see, raise uh,
5: we can raise red blood cell counts on people that are undergoing chemotherapy up to the normal range so they can live a comfortable life while they're having their cancer treatments. It's just been really gratifying.
1: So of course I have a bunch of questions. How did you find find this, or did it find you? And are you the first to do this, or is this something that's been going on for a while?
5: No, no. This company is has sold thousands of machines uh, the guys, the CEO's name is Mark Squibb. And he, he attempted, he had, he invented the adaptive contrast. i.e., ego and hypoxic part of this about,
0: mm-hmm. I
5: don't know, 14 years ago. And, uh, he's been, he's been selling them. He's come up with some new stuff. Uh, I mean, there's, there's quite a few professional athletes that are using it because you heal up so much faster. Huh. I.e. You go out and work out real hard, and tear down your muscles and get sore you can jump on one of these machines for 15 minutes and get rid of the soreness and heal real fast. So you can train again quicker than your competition. Therefore your performance level goes up uh, a lot faster than there is a very big competitive advantage for the athletes that I've trained so far.
1: Okay. So this is, is this the Squib Corporation or is it just someone? No, the
5: name of the company is Live 2 You can look it up on, uh, L i v e o two dot com,
0: and my O-2. my
5: website is my website is turbo o two dot com. No zeros, all O's. Turbo o two
1: dot com. Okay, we'll get that again before, before we're out of here. Oh, this is interesting. All right, so a couple things come to mind when you mentioned athletes. Uh, there was a problem with blood doping. They would actually take red blood cells out and uh, put more red blood cells uh, back in or something like that. So that the athletes yeah. could absorb more oxygen. So what's the difference between yep. what you're doing and blood doping?
5: The difference is
1: this is legal and blood doping is not. Well, that makes sense. I was just curious. How about <laughs> chemically about it. uh, and biochemically? So you're not actually increasing red blood cells at all. You're no, you're just actually. Yeah, you putting- are. Oh, you are. Okay. So tell me how that works then. Yes,
5: absolutely. and, and, like, I've trained people that were going to go to Nepal to go to Everest Base Camp and climb, and what we do with them is we just leave them off. And the same thing with people that are undergoing chemo. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing a normal healing session, I'll build them up over time to leaving them off oxygen at about 140 for up to 35 minutes.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
5: will build red blood cells like crazy. It's just like going up and training at altitude that, you, you know, you heard the... The Olympic athletes would go up and train at altitude, and they'll uh, basically do what you said. They're they're naturally blood doping, building more red blood cells, and then they come down to sea level and they 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 win competitions because they can they can go more because they can combust more. Basically, they have more fuel, more oxygen, more reserves, more red blood cells, everything. So, yeah, it's basically the same thing. Only you have to work for it a little bit.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and that's the way we get the
5: red blood cells back on people that are undergoing chemo. We can get them back into the normal range, but we don't just elevate them. We get them back into the low normal range for for who they are. It's it's actually so, incredible.
1: So what does chemo actually do then? So tell me the process of that and and how oxygen helps. I'm kind of curious.
5: Well, when the once these people are going in for chemo, it just demolishes their immune system, which is, you know, it's in there trying to kill stuff. So if you can't control it, it kills everything. So when I look at their blood work, because they'll bring it to me and mm-hmm. their red blood cell count will just be demolished along with a whole bunch of other markers in their blood. Right. And after a couple of weeks, we can bring that red blood cell count right back up to normal. Because we leave them hypoxic, when you go hypoxic, it tells your body, just like if you were at altitude, live in, if you lived at 10,000 feet, your body would make more red blood cells because the air is thinner. So it would make enough red blood cells so it can absorb enough oxygen to live normally so you're not decaying all the time, basically. So we're,
1: oh, I think we're I get we're building it. red blood
5: cells, we're tricking your body into saying you're at altitude and you don't have to do it that long, a session a day or two times a week, whatever you can do. And your body will just making more red blood cells because you're triggering it too.
1: So I'm just trying is that mostly for chemo or is it just for anybody's good health? Is it better to have more red blood cells? And if it is, why doesn't our body make them naturally?
5: It's better. Well, because just like your body doesn't do a lot of things naturally, if you want to improve performance, sometimes you got to do something extra and this is tricking your body into doing what you want it to do. But You'll feel better. You'll have more energy. I mean, if you if you blood doped yourself, if you just let the doctor spin down your red blood cells for a month or so, and then you went in and had them inject all of them, you'd feel great for a very short amount of time. Hmm. And you'd perform better. But now what we're doing is, like, I do this every day, and my energy level's up, but you don't sleep during the day. I have energy to work out all the time. And, it just is just good. And you know, you don't have to do that protocol. They call that the Everest protocol. Cause that's how we get people red blood cells. So they adapt better when they go climb a mountain. But uh-huh. I started using that with cancer folks. And, but you know, we have high intensity training cycles that we can do with athletes to, you know, it, it's not, it you still get all the benefits, it's kind of how you direct it. You want more of one thing or more of the other then you can direct the sessions in that way.
1: Okay. You know, I remember the biggest problem with COVID was the cytokine storm and the uh, collapse of of lungs and the whole ventilator thing. And we traced that back to uh, some kind of a flu bug, John Cullen, who's our data expert on our Thursday World's Greatest Doctors panel, which you should join sometime. It's pretty amazing what we talk about. But he's the one that uh, discovered that there were basically two pandemics, that there was an influenza uh, virus. It was either, you know, the resurrected Spanish flu or a a gain-of-function-enhanced similar version of the spanish flu or whatever they created it was really bad flu bug and the flu bug is what's killing people not covet COVID's, you know if you do the math COVID's 99.95 percent survivable which only leaves i think one hundred and fifty thousand people out of 300 million you know it's like 0.05 percent whatever it is uh and of those one hundred and fifty thousand, we always figure that uh 95 with early treatments will be just fine so the only people that should have died from COVID is like about eighty five hundred. <laughs> it's some ridiculously small number not a million and so i'm i'm curious um that with the oxygen depletion of the cytokine storm, uh, were people being treated with oxygen for with COVID, or were they only being put on a ventilator? And what's the difference?
5: Well, as far as I know, they weren't. I treated myself and some others that had COVID, active COVID, and got rid of it in two and a half days. Okay, completely gone. Um, we're hundred. We're we're one hundred percent. So far on long COVID, so people will come over and, you know, one doctor or the other will send them over and it takes about, I think the average is about six sessions and then they start feeling better. Some have to come back every week or two weeks or months. Some don't. Some some I never see again. So it, it just like everything depends on the individual,
0: mm-hmm. but
5: we've had real good mm-hmm. luck. Uh, and yeah, you know, the I was thinking every hospital should have a giant bag of oxygen like this because I'm basically just using a modified oxygen, an air separator basically is what it is, but it pulls the oxygen out, but they'll put a cannular on, you know, the little thing tube you stick up your nose
0: mm-hmm.
5: and that's mostly, I mean, you're, you're getting oxygen, but you're also getting a lot of room air. So you're the percent of a, the, the percentage of oxygen that we're breathing during these sessions is higher than what you would get if they put you on oxygen at the hospital. And the reason I know that is one of the doctors ran out of oxygen one day, actually one of the nurses did, and they, they could get this, this guy was having blood clotting from COVID and they could only get his oxygen level up to I think 78%, which is dangerously low. So they brought him over and said, hey, can we put him on one of these machines until we can get him to the hospital? So Chancy and I were over at the office, and we put this guy in a recliner and put the mask on him and let him breathe the, the bag, and we got his oxygen level immediately up to 93 percent, kept him wow. that way for four about four wow. hours until until they could get him to the hospital. So
0: <laughs> did you're they getting more yeah.
5: oxygen than you probably <laughs> ever had before in your life?
1: Yeah. So uh, this is pure oxygen from this uh, this machine.
5: No, it's about 90%. If you breathe pure oxygen, your lungs will collapse. You've got to have some nitrogen in there.
1: See, that's what I was wondering. That's the next thing, because the air, natural air, is, I think, 78 nitrogen, 22 oxygen, and, like, 1% everything else. I don't know if I've done my math correctly.
5: Yeah, it, it's about 20.9% normal sea level air. So okay. we'll say 20% oxygen, and everything else is 80%. So we're taking that air pulling and over the course of about an hour before a session we're pulling that we're just using room air and we're pulling pulling the oxygen out and putting ninety percent oxygen in the bag and then we're putting fourteen percent oxygen in the ten thousand foot bag and that that's what we're using. When you're doing the session, you're uh-huh. only breathing out of one of those two bags, no other air. The the masks are airtight, so Interesting. We can control yeah, it, it, what
1: you're breathing. Uh, I'm trying to think of a of an example here, or a metaphor, or a way of explaining this. But it seems to me it's like a sponge. If you go in the 10,000 foot air, so this oxygen depleted air, it's like you know squeezing a sponge. And then the, the other one's like dropping it in water, so it absorbs all that stuff. But you have to squeeze the sponge out first. You put a sponge with a bunch of water in it. It's not going to absorb much more water. It's already saturated. Would that be a good way to think about the, how these two different bags work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that
0: that's,
1: okay. that's okay. one
5: that's one part of it. And the other part is. With the high pulse rate, it's like you're uh-huh. filling that sponge back up with a hose rather than dropping it in a bucket because you're just blind, and mm. You'll get it deeper into the tissues, deeper to the cells, deeper in the organs, and it's affecting everything from the tip of your head to the tip of your toes, from your skin to your bone marrow. It's just getting everything. People come in because they got a sore knee or something else, and before long they find out their whole body's feeling good.
1: So this works for anybody, you know, from perfect health to – Various uh, diseases, ailments, muscle problems, all kinds of things, cancer—the whole bit.
5: Yeah, I haven't found—I haven't found anything that it doesn't help yet.
1: Okay. So where has this been all along? So I've
5: lives? had six-year-olds <laughs> where, all the way to ninety-four-year-olds.
1: Yeah. yeah, where has this uh, technology been? So one guy just kind of came up with it. Uh, You're talking about him earlier, uh, the Squib guy. Uh, yeah, the CEO .com. of
5: Live 2 He was—he was experimental. Was I mean the. The exercise, exercise with oxygen therapy, just breathing the concentrated oxygen while you're exercising and getting your pulse high,
0: mm-hmm.
5: that's been around. A guy named Van Arden did that in Germany. He did the clinical trials and the, the laboratory stuff, and he he's the one that figured out all these healing effects that you get from breathing concentrated oxygen while you're exercising or however you can get your pulse high, and that that could be heating your body up in a sauna or it could be exercising or whatever, but he figured that out. And then, uh, the Livo two guys, they figured out this adapted contrast part about making yourself hypoxic and then switch it back to that concentrated because the reason they did it at first is because when you're breathing concentrated oxygen, it's hard to get your pulse very high
0: hmm. because
5: your, your brain says, Hey, I already have enough oxygen heart. You don't need to beat any faster.
0: So you can be working real, real
5: hard, and you can't get your pulse as high as you want it. So they figured, well, let's cut the oxygen off, get the pulse real high, and then we'll go back to oxygen. And then what they figured out was all the expansion of your whole body just getting ready to absorb as much oxygen as it can because you don't have enough, and then you trick it, and you just slam it back in there. And uh, that's what creates this logarithmic even better it's really good without the hypoxic part it's fantastic with the hypoxic part
1: yeah because you, you're able to absorb much more oxygen so
5: yeah your body just okay. sucks it in like crazy and it gets it gets more and more into your blood plasma so mm-hmm. the other key is getting your blood plasma you know blood plasma is just basically salt water and if mm-hmm. you can get oxygen saturated into that that's much smaller than a red blood cell because it's just oh. oxygen inside of water. It's an O2 model, molecule in water. So you can squirt basically under high pressure. You're squirting that water through places where there's inflammation, where a red blood cell can't get through it because it's swollen up. And, and this is getting that – you can get that blood plasma in there, and if you get the oxygen to those cells that have been cut off, they will repair themselves immediately. And sometimes you'll see it on the pulse ox where you, you'll be breathing concentrated oxygen and your body's dumping so much sludge, you can't stay at 100% oxygen. And, and we'll, we call that sludge cycles. And You'll see that oxygen level down and go up and dip down and go up. And basically, you're just detoxing real bad.
1: Hmm. So, What is the oxygen burns up the, the, the toxic material or how does it get it out of your system?
5: No, once these cells that are kind of in a brownout zone, if you will, a a micro injury or something that just hasn't gotten oxygen in a long time, Mm -hmm. when they start getting that oxygen, they start repairing themselves. So they're dumping lactic acid, they're dumping chloride, they're they're moving out the garbage, then your liver and kidney, so that's using oxygen, and then your liver and kidney have to process all that garbage, so they're using a lot of oxygen, and you can actually see it happening on the pulse oximeter.
1: Huh, <laughs> then it goes out the usual yeah, way. Great. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
5: yeah, Okay. Yeah, and then, yeah, and you will sometimes after the first three or four sessions have a, a very massive nasty bowel movement. Uh, some, some people will have a day I did where you just sleep an entire day, uh-huh. and, you know, that's just part of getting over all the garbage that you've accumulated over the last, I don't know how many years, you know.
1: So this can but we have whole improved liver
5: function, the... kidney function, cholesterol falls, uh, A1C falls. Every, you know, people are just having dramatic results with no change okay. in diet. Now, I did change my diet and exercise after I started getting good results, but it's mostly because of this kind of over the last 90 days, just kind of waking back up, taking back ch- charge of my life.
1: You want to tell me about that? Now I'm curious. What's, uh, what happened in the last 90 days? Up to you to say. Well, I mean, this is, we're podcast forever, so don't really yeah. Get too well, personal, you know, basically I'm, I'm just
5: uh, yeah. letting, let getting God back in your life and pray and and
1: okay, it works. You it know, works. Uh,
5: it works miracles every day. It's been amazing.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the fascinating things I found about this show. I didn't plan it the way, uh, I you know it was, it was quite a while ago. I decided that the the, the, the earth, uh, the world, and the earth kind of combined there. The earth is no accident. That that uh, that all the laws of physics and DNA and all these things and all the fact that we have everything we need here on earth. So you know the air, the water, the plants, the animals. You know the minerals, the wood, you know the paper, the you know the cotton, and all the stuff that you could possibly need is here: uranium, oil, coal, natural gas. You know, there's nothing that we don't need that isn't already that isn't already here. And and for that to be uh, you know so perfect, uh, it couldn't possibly be an accident. And so I don't you know cosmic you know and, and you think about this these cosmic accident people yeah we're just a fluke of nature oh really. You know, what are the odds? <laughs> you want to calculate that? Anyway, but the point is that the people that have come to this show, we all have a very uh, strong belief in God, uh, and we also have a strong belief in freedom. And those are the two things that I think separate us from a lot of other places. That this is a place you can talk about God, and this is a place you can't talk about freedom. I mean, I don't, I don't put restrictions on people. You know, I don't like explain a lot, and, and you, no threatening violence, and don't be overtly racist. And, you know, a couple other things like that. But other than that, you can say anything you want on this show. And then those, are, those are blog talk rules. Uh, and well, kind of mine, too. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, e- e- the expression, the free expression, the people that, that want the most freedom for the most people are, are usually the strongest believers in God. Uh, th- that's just, it's an interesting correlation that I didn't think about before I started this little enterprise here, that those are the folks who would come to the show would be very spiritual, very religious, um, very intense people on, many, on multi-dimensions that believe in freedom for the, you know, for as many of us as we can uh, help along the way. And we start with this country, then we go from there. And we do have an international audience. You know, Algeria just showed up on the world map. So, so hello, Algeria. Welcome. (laughs) But now we have folks in Latvia and Iceland and Thailand and New Zealand and uh, Argentina. And uh, we said Morocco, they left. But Bulgaria, Romania, you know, South Korea, (laughs) we're we're literally all over the world. Uh, And it's fascinating. Not in huge numbers yet, but we will be. Yeah, it's just a question of, uh, of that big breakthrough that I'm working on here. Um, hopefully, yeah, I can't tell you, but, you know, things are happening. Uh, but the point is that freedom, uh, sort of a universal belief in freedom and a belief in God, work hand in hand. I don't think you can have one without the other. You can't truly have freedom without God because it, all you have is government then or all you have is something else because you have to, people have to believe in something and they will. And, the, and unfortunately, a lot of times that's Marxism, the government, the oppression of others, the control, things like that. And if that's where you are, then, then freedom is never going to work for you. And that's how you get the mandates and the, the masks and the mass psychosis and the fear and everything else. And that's a disease. I mean, it's really horrible. Uh, but considering how good this is from what you're telling me, why... Wasn't this immediately adopted by you know, all our wonderful public health officials, You know, at least at the state level, to say, look, you, you suspected of COVID? Well, take an oxygen treatment. Let's see if we can uh, boost your oxygen. With oxygen being the biggest problem, that people end up on ventilators. You know, call them remdesivir, which fills their lungs with fluid that should have been excreted. Uh, and then they try and blast it out with a ventilator. I mean, they're killing people by the hundreds of thousands. And yet with this oxygen treatment, you probably could have saved most of them, almost all of them. You tell me.
5: Uh, well, from my experience, yes. You could have saved probably a, almost all of them. I, you know, who, who knows? But
1: mm-hmm. uh, well, we, never
5: for sure. 100%, we, we didn't have anyone get worse, that's for sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, one guy only came one day, and he started feeling better the next morning, and that's when I did the next morning. I kept going with it for three, two two and a half days. The third day I was done by noon, but I haven't seen any overt washing of this system, but I'm, I'll, my suspicion is it hasn't been picked up because of big pharma and big medicine because uh, it put a lot of people out of business.
1: So who went out of business? The ventilator companies? The hospitals? The doctors? Who who affect mostly with this treatment?
5: Well, I mean, I think, you know, we, we have some clients that are slowly cutting back their medications, and now we don't tell them what to do. This is all on doctor's doctor's advice and orders, but, you know, Mm -hmm. they're cutting back on their medication because they're finding out that when their body has enough fuel to take care of itself, it will take care of itself. And, you know, there's been mitochondrial diseases, genetic mitochondrial problems, but when you put the oxygen to it, they start feeling better. They stop having these little micro seizures all day. They have the energy to go play with their children. And again, some of them, it's a permanent fix. Your body just needed a kickstart to get over the hump of the injuries or micro injuries or diseases it had, get rid of the gunk, and it can take care of itself. And then some people it comes back, and they have to come back. And some of them just need to come back indefinitely. I don't know how long some of them will need to come back yet, but at the end of the day, it's much better to let your body take care of itself than it is to pump another side effect into it.
1: Well, the medicine is a huge thing. Like I uh, I don't take any any medicine. I don't have any prescriptions. I don't do any of that stuff, uh, although there are doctors who would love to put me on a bunch of things because I had uh, open-heart surgery about five and a half, almost six years ago. I guess, No, I guess we're coming up on my uh, my October anniversary, so this will be six years, where I had a mitral valve prolapse. I had a valve trim uh, so that it would fit perfectly, and it does. It's great. No heart murmur, no nothing. But they had all these drugs and blood thinners, and I think the blood thinners almost killed me when uh, my chest filled with fluid, and I was, I was about a day or two from suffocating um by with the rate of fluid that was pouring into my chest uh so they drained it and uh and they said we're gonna put you on blood thinners again i'm like hell no you're not (laughs) i said i'm not i don't want to take any of these things so i dropped the aspirin dropped the blood thinners dropped uh, a couple other things they had you know no matter what it was and every time i dropped a a medication i felt better and started losing weight (laughs) it was fascinating um yeah so this for sure i mean go ahead
5: when I, first, when I first started this, my dad had great results. Like I said, his, his arthritis in his hand was gone in 15 minutes. His knee surgery from five years ago stopped hurting him. His back surgery from 15 years ago stopped hurting him. So I did it. And after about six months, I went in for my blood work. And liver and kidney functions perfect, cholesterol down, A1C down. And before that, my wife was like, hey, go play with these machines. I don't want to really hear about it, but don't buy any more of them. I'm tired of you spending all this money. Right. Well, when she saw my blood work, she did it. And now at this time she had had high liver enzymes for about eight years and been on and off mm-hmm. medications, biopsy. They just couldn't figure it out. And her yeah, cholesterol sounds... was okay, but yeah. two times a week for two months and her liver enzymes were perfect. The doc said her kidneys were that of a 30 year old. She's 50. Um, her A1C was down, her cholesterol went down through the floor. I mean. It was just incredible, so uh, it, now she doesn't have to take that stuff. And, you know, a lot of those things, they kept putting her on this, on that, switching them around, trying to find something that would work. They have other side effects that, that weren't good, so. Yeah,
1: they do that. You know, it's they don't it's a very know. helpful it's thing. Like, uh, it's like, let's try this and see if it works. I'm like, what do you mean let's try yeah. this and see if it works? No, I'm not your experimental pin question. You don't, just, <laughs> yeah. you don't just put drugs into my system and, and see which one works. Yeah, you know, that's like saying, which poison is going to kill you? we to find it's out become. eventually. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. So the question, so here's what I'm thinking. So given our lifestyle, given that people are, are too sedentary, you know, I was just in the gym yesterday, and my normal heart, you know, gets up to about 1, I think 130 at the most after about a half an hour on the elliptical. It's like, yeah, that's good. I'm happy. Um, but so I'm, you know, I'm 62. And and so I'm having a great time doing that. Um, plus bike riding, plus everything else, getting the weight down. Uh surgery put a huge amount of weight on me. Uh, so this is this is part of uh, getting it down again. But what it seems to me what it seems is like the uh uh our diet, our sedentary lifestyle, uh our over medication, our over vaccination for diseases that are long since gone, all seem to be depriving of enough oxygen, is what I'm guessing. Or uh, processes or the, the normal process or the normal rate of process or normal metabolism, none of those seem to be helped by all these things here. And what it sounds like to me is that what the oxygen does is it gives you a jump start. It sort of teaches your body either what it was, what it could be, what it should have been. Um, And if it's like you say, if you're getting the you know body results of a 30 year old when you're 50, then you know this is kind of the fountain of youth in a way. But if you combine this with exercise and good nutrition, it sounds like this is a a vital component of getting oxygen. It sounds like we're all oxygen depleted, just like uh, some of the doctors say we're vitamin D3 depleted. You know we're magnesium depleted. There's a bunch of things we're depleted because our food sucks. You know, but this just sounds like one more way to get your metabolism regulated. And I think your body, you're, you're, it's almost like you're teaching your body to get used to additional oxygen and the body can use that oxygen because oxygen, oxygenates. Ox- oxygen, you know, oxygen is combustible. It burns, you burn it in your, in your engines, you, you know, your body burns it to, to make all your life processes go, you know, and it's like, we're not burning it efficiently. We like the fuel tanks empty. And, they're only trying to, and the body's trying to sort of take only a little bit at a time because we only have so much oxygen. But now if you, if you greatly increase the supply of oxygen, the body says, ah, i got plenty of oxygen. We can use this now everywhere. You know, it's, uh, it's like money. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you get money, you find all kinds of places to spend it that you should have been spending it on before. And, you know, the house doesn't break because, you know, you know, you're doing preventive maintenance rather than waiting for something to collapse. But I'm sort of rambling here, but the, the idea is that oxygen really helps any, everything and it really teaches your body. That there's more oxygen available, so they can, it can do more things with it. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah,
5: yeah. That that, and there's more to it than that because
1: oh, do tell.
5: Like the liver and kidneys, the liver and kidneys. You know, like I said, with that oxygen getting getting saturated into the plasma. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the, all these little micro injuries throughout your life, and those turn into little brownout zones. Because they're just swollen enough or inflamed enough where you the oxygen just can't get to it when you put the pulse real high and you saturate that plasma it presses that oxygen just like a hyperbaric chamber does down into those tissues and they start repairing themselves you press past those micro injuries that built up into these brownout zones which will eventually cause a disease like maybe cancer or liver disease you press those down and you basically regenerate those organs and yeah that as you as i have people coming where for instance at first i would only desaturate down to 93 percent or so now that i've been doing this i'll desaturate down into high 80s fairly easily my body is giving up oxygen more readily to be combust than it would the masks also have a little bit of a restrictor on there so it increases the power of your breathing i notice with people they the the amount of oxygen they use in a session out of the bag goes up because they're increasing their lung capacity this causes your red blood cells to you know what's apoptosis is the natural dying off of old cells When you get screwed up as you mm-hmm. get older this also starts that back where now you're going to get your as you create new red blood cells those old ones can die off and so One of the measures is how much oxygen gets taken out from the heart versus how much oxygen is still left in the blood when it comes back to the heart. The bigger that difference, the more you're combusting, right?
0: Right. You take out a lot
5: of fuel after you go through the lungs and absorb oxygen, you would like for that that blood coming back to be very depleted. And we see that happen more readily. And the way I look at it is you desaturate, i.e., your blood... Your O2 level on the pulse ox goes down further and quicker the more you do this.
1: Interesting. We just had our uh, one of our guests for the next hour, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Holster, uh, call sign uh, Lewis. If you're listening online, call back. I was going to bring you on. I thought you'd be, you know, uh, oftentimes I'll have crossovers. And so guests calling early. They're welcome to talk to uh, guests of the hour beforehand. And, in fact, if you want to stick around, uh, this might be interesting to, to pursue this later. But this is fascinating. I had no idea about this, so that's why I'm glad to get you on. So uh, why you should just consider yourself part of the Wednesday crew. You know, if Chancey, Lindsay, and uh, uh, Paige are coming on, then you might as well, you know, you're all part of the same group now, company now. So, so uh, join in. You know, have the wild women of wellness. Yeah, you know, plus Brian. Plus Brian. <laughs> yeah, I
5: appreciate it. Well, I tell you, well, one day we'll talk about the energy energy enhancement system that we're just about to get in the Pensacola okay. location.
0: Yeah, it's even well, more mind
5: to... blowing than the uh, than the oxygen. I think you'll find it pretty interesting.
1: Well, I'll try all these things. You know, I, I got to do the detox. I want to have. Uh, I want to get my ivermectin parasite. You know dose, whatever it is, not that I have, but I've traveled, you know, fairly extensively <laughs> yeah. there shouldn't be there. I want to do that. I want to get my charcoal filter. I've got to do, put uh, filters on the showers. There's a bunch of things I want to do um, to, with you guys. And it should be, uh, uh, Oh, I got a text. I'll have to get that later. Yeah. Things are happening. Um, we're trying to get a lot of really big talk shows. Um, and so we'll see what happens. And, and <laughs> we'll, we'll get a very interesting guests. Well, here's the thing too. Uh, what we do here has never been done. You know, what we do with our citizen legislature is brand new. We are pioneers. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have you on, on board with the group now. But you've got, you know, Chancy started this, you know, the whole excursion into wellness. And we have uh, some of our bigger bills. One of the biggest ones is the full uh, vaccine product liability that we're going to put onto the uh, big pharma folks. That's going to be huge, you know, and that's a bill that Congress could never write because they're, they're too much on the take. So they're never going to be able to do it um, in terms of what you do with oxygen. Um, did you try to get this in the hospitals? Did you try to get this as a COVID treatment? Did you try to tell everybody that, hey, we've got some big success here. Did uh, Dr. Big Leone, who's a friend of mine too, she's wonderful. Um, were you able to do more of this? Or did the the big pharma, you know, COVID death, remdesivir ventilator death march people um, just uh, – <laughs> that's what I, I call it the remdesivir ventilator death march. And that's what it is. You go to the yeah, hospital, but... you know, when you should have been now treated I, early. I
5: have
1: – yeah, go ahead. The only,
5: the only cross ties I have with the medical establishment, if you will, is that Dr. Viglione and Thorpe and a few of the other doctors from the, you know, the anti-vaccine crowds, they they will refer patients over to us. But, you know, so far we've just been word of mouth. We do have a few athletes that we train here and there. But um, if you search on the website, the Live02 website, you'll see that, you know, when I first started this, there wasn't another one in Florida. There's a couple in Tampa now. There's one in Orlando. A lot of chiropractors are starting to use them because they can adjust someone or put them on oxygen before they adjust them, and the, and the, the oxygen just it gets worked into stuff. Um, but you no, I,
1: muscles I up like I said little before,
5: little. I haven't seen uh, any overt truck coming huh. after this system. Huh. Okay. Uh, as far as, you know, trying to regulate it or make, cause there's no prescription required. Um, you know, I just, I did take a lot of training, uh, so that I didn't hurt anybody, but, um, I haven't been, I mean, we, we have another machine. It's called the extreme machine. You can dial it up to 22,000 feet. And I've had my O2 level down to 32% on that bad boy. And, yeah, you'll get dizzy and pass out if you're not careful. But it is extremely effective at making you feel fantastic immediately afterwards.
1: So that's the big ring out. (laughs) Then the the oxygen just goes right back in. Um, Yeah. And that happens
5: within about 30 seconds with a pulse of about 150.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Well, I do my own sound effects, too, so that's that's part of the fun here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Can yeah, well, I'll do different accents, too. You know, mm, Yoda would like to be strong with the forest with our oxygen. Mm. You know, anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, I have my moments. Um, can you explain what oxygen saturation is? So when they measure the percent of oxygen, w- what does that mean? Is it, is it based on 100% is what you should have? Uh, how do they measure it? What, what, well, what's no, all that?
5: Go ahead. Most people, walk, most people walking around are just sitting are going to be somewhere around 97, maybe 98. And – the way we, the only way I know to measure it is, is just like you know when you go to the doctor and they put your finger in that little gadget and it mm-hmm. tells you what your pulse rate is and what your oxygen level is. It's a, a pulse, oximet, pulse oximeter.
1: How does it work? How does it tell how much oxygen you it have? It's not like it's uh, you know It's,
5: it's shining a red light through your finger. It what? shines a red light through your finger. If you look in there, you'll see a little red light. Anyway, oh, it's yeah, shining it's that on, into yeah. your finger oh, yeah. and it is measuring the color of your hemoglobin.
0: So the redder your
5: hemoglobin, the more oxygen it has on it, and then, and that correlates to a percentage. And oh, most awesome. pulse oxes will only go up to 99. We have a couple that will go up to 100. But that, that only tells part of the story because all that is measuring is the color of your hemoglobin. It's not telling you anything about your plasma. Because your mm. plasma, when it gets when it gets oxygen in it, it doesn't turn red. All the red in your blood is red blood cells, and it's red because of hemoglobin.
1: And hemoglobin is the part that uh, carries the oxygen.
5: It carries the oxygen, and 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 the reason that this is also effective for white tissues and ligaments is because that doesn't have any blood vessels, any vascular system in it, and it gets mm-hmm. its oxygen from. Fl- from the oxygen in your blood plasma, which usually there is not very much. And that's why those tendons and white tissues and cartilage take so long, like forever, if ever to heal is because they can't get oxygen to repair themselves because there's none going to them. But you can get it to them if you saturate the plasma, but you can't see the saturated plasma on the pulse oximeter.
1: Yeah, because it it there's no color to it. That's fat. And oxygen doesn't have a color either. Right. So how does iron play right. this? Because uh, you have iron in your, your red blood cells, so it makes them red. So how does iron and hemoglobin yeah. combine? How does that work? What's what's iron's part in this?
5: I don't know. I don't know because okay. I don't have an iron machine. <laughs> no, but That's
0: I know curious.
5: you got to take, you know, you do want to drink tons of water and take supplements when you do this because it does increase apoptosis, the dying, the natural dying off and replenishment. It also causes when you go hypoxic for your interstitial fluid to start trying to replace itself. But, yeah, I, I take just a multivitamin to keep the iron level high. Um, I used okay. to be slightly uh, iron deficient, but I'm not anymore.
1: You can drink and Guinness, too. I think, too, I think
5: works. what we're seeing is once you get your levels <laughs> up and, and your body, you know, will regulate for itself if you can keep from being re-exposed to, to the injuries and pollutants and toxins that you – which is hard to do.
1: Well, this is what I'm wondering. Is, is, is Does everything in our life, you know, the medications, the lack of exercise, GMOs, the bad diet, the the processed foods and fats, bad fats, not the good ones, you know, all these things, are they systematically lowering our ability to absorb and maintain oxygen throughout our body? Is that happening?
5: I, well, I think so because all that creates little micro injuries. And, you know, okay. cholesterol. the cholesterol is one of the measures that, that I look at. You know your body's making cholesterol to try to repair itself in one way or Mm -hmm. another and so as you get older all these little micro injuries keep building up and so your body's constantly trying to repair itself and it Mm -hmm. can't so it just keeps making more cholesterol. Well Hmm. once once you press this oxygen in and allow your body to fix itself then your cholesterol it stops making it and it crashes through the floor. I mean, my bad cholesterol went from you're going to go on Lipitor to to lower than normal for a 20-year-old. But, yeah, Yeah, and the big thing to lose weight, (laughs) all the other Uh things is if you, you know, just exercising on this system for 15 minutes twice a week or every day even isn't going to cause you to lose a lot of weight. But what it does do is it gives you the energy to get off your butt and get out there and do what you need to do. And, you know, for me, for instance, I talked about, you know, the re praying and I, I go down to the beach every morning for sunset and I head East till the sun comes up for about an hour, either jogging or walking, and Then I swim and then I walk back. <clears throat> I did that this morning, got home and was on the road by eight to call you. I go almost every day. I usually take one day a week off unless something happens, I can't go. But you know, you get out there, you notice the little small things that are just incredibly beautiful. Pray, cry, do everything.
1: Oh, no, no. This is, and I'm pretty spiritual, too. Like, I, I play guitar and go off into my own little dream world as I'm playing along and, and do things. <laughs> the, yeah. Once you start relaxing and getting into the spiritual side, it's amazing what you can do. Uh, Captain Tom Stewart's on the line, and we had Lieutenant Colonel um, uh, Holster, call sign uh, Lewis, was on earlier, and then he dropped the call. So I was going to bring him on. Um, Tom, we got an interesting uh, guest here, Brian Fraser, uh, Navy pilot. Uh, same thing, jab, military you know, the, the same kind of stuff. And he has this whole thing he's doing with, with oxygen. Tom, are you familiar with that at all? Oxygen treatments? Cause maybe you guys want to talk for a couple of minutes before we get into, uh, <coughs> to your yeah, I topics. am
3: hyperbaric, uh, oxygen chamber. Very familiar with it. Promotes healing, promotes mental clarity. Good stuff from what I understand.
1: Okay. I think it's a little different though. Brian, you want to explain the difference once again?
5: Yeah, this is not hyperbaric. I started out researching hyperbaric to get one for my father. And, uh, I stumbled across this system called Libo2, but basically you're exercising while breathing concentrated oxygen. Then we switch it to hypoxia, so you're breathing oxygen-depleted air. We get your get your oxygen level down to about 90%. Makes your pulse go real high, makes your vascular system expand, opens your lungs, and then we flip you back to concentrated oxygen. It just blasts the oxygen through your body, and we've had tremendous results, much faster and cheaper than uh, I think to do what we're doing, you probably need a four-atmosphere. Uh, that's what the company thinks is a four-atmosphere hyperbaric chamber, which most people can't afford.
1: Huh. Well, there we go. Interesting. Anyway, we're going to switch over here in just a little bit. Uh, well, actually, we, we could do that now. <laughs> we had an amazing time last yeah, week. Yeah, hey, Greg, uh, i, I got to take off.
5: Yeah. i got some customers coming in, but I appreciate the call, mm-hmm. and I'll try to join you guys on Wednesdays.
1: Okay, contact information, store locations. Let's do that real fast. Websites, do that once more, and then we'll... uh... Yeah.
5: Okay, yeah, if you want to make an appointment with us or me, you can call 757-214-1060. That's 757-214-1060. That's my cell phone number. Call me or text me. We've got a location in uh, Cordova Square in Pensacola on uh, Bayou and 12th, and then we've got a location at Five Points in Pace, inside fifth Elements uh, massage and wellness
1: and if you get calls from australia and azerbaijan don't be surprised because <laughs> we are worldwide
5: <laughs> i'm glad so we I, take them maybe they can come okay to good.
1: well this is your cell phone i just you know like i say i, just, I always give people a caution don't uh, don't do stuff that's that's super uh, that's just fine i'll
5: just block them if they're mean to me
1: <laughs> <laughs> we get ah on a camel it's like i want the treatment <laughs> i'm just teasing you <laughs> all right thank you sir appreciate you coming on the show
5: thank you appreciate it have a good day
1: you, too. All right. So this is interesting. This actually would have been a great crossover, and hopefully uh, all you gentlemen can talk to each other at some point. We've got Captain Tom Stewart, that Lieutenant Colonel, uh, I forgot your first name, but Holster, a uh, call sign, uh, Lewis. And so uh, whatever you want to be called by is fine with me. I mean, I, You guys need to give me a call sign. I and mean, we were talking about this on email last night. I want one, too. You know, I, I figure, you know, I can't give myself one. Otherwise, I'd be the nerd warrior. But uh, we need to do we need to see you guys, you know, think about something kind of cool. Would be would be very good, uh, Tom. Welcome back to the show, and uh, Holster Lewis. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you?
6: I'm doing well. First name's Daniel. Um, Daniel, oh, there we go. Usually okay. aren't something that, uh, and Tom knows this, but usually it has to do with something stupid that you did. So if really? oh, we well, <laughs> I, I can
1: I can tell you my stories. <laughs> it <laughs> wouldn't be too hard to find them. All right, um, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll
3: uh, we'll open this up. And, uh, our views do not reflect the, uh, views of the Department of Defense opinion only, and, uh, it's going to be, uh, for the Marine Corps. It's going to be very informative on UAVs. Uh, the way I kind of fell into, uh, working with Holster was out in Hawaii. It was 2014, I believe. And, uh, I was, I was standing duty one day. It was about a 12 hour duty standing behind a desk. The XO comes and grabs me in the afternoon. I'm like getting ready to wrap up in two hours and go home. He's like, Hey, guess what? Uh, you're going to the big Island tomorrow and you are now working on the staff, at the air group, uh, you're replacing some people. And uh, there's an exercise the big on right now, and they they wanted you there yesterday. So I'm like, okay, wow. fine. I have no idea what's going on. Thanks for basically grounding me for the next three to six months and uh, putting me on the staff, <laughs> um, barely flying. But it was me and another friend of mine got assigned to it. He flew Cobras, I flew 53s, and we handled all the uh, the planning. Three of the six months we ran the, we ran basically Marine Air Group 24, the operations department. We were pulled into meetings last minute all over the base, dealing with guys in Okinawa in regards to stuff at uh, the first Marine air wing. And, uh, it was very educational six months for me. Um, so I get to the big Island, uh, Holster is basically in charge of the debt out there. One of the guys out there, uh, he goes on later to be the ex of uh, VMU three later, which is an unmanned air squad. And they're like, Hey, like. I need, I need this to support my operations. They're trying to get their squadron fully operational capable. And they're also trying to train for some of their upcoming deployments coming up that were kind of on the horizon. And, uh, it was stuff like, Hey, I need to move people point A to point B. I need to move supplies parts. I need, I think it was whatever they're putting in those things, kerosene. It wasn't jet fuel. Um, they needed fuel brought out to supply. I think they had two to four of them out there at a time and, uh, you know, I was the guy that made that, made that work for them last minute. And it was, Hey, need this. Here's why I don't get it. I can't operate tomorrow. And I was like, all right, we're going to throw it on a helicopter and get it to you. And, uh, I learned a lot about their, uh, the logistics that goes into supporting a squadron like this, they have a pretty big footprint. Uh, I think it takes two to four, uh, transport planes to deploy them. But, uh, and I'll let him go into the details, how many aircraft they have in a little bit. And, uh, but yeah, they're amazing capability can do the aerial reconnaissance. Uh, function of for us um greatly help out with close air support the drone they had at the time or the the aircraft they had at the time was a uh, it had a laser on it so they could lace targets with a laser code and you could employ ordnance into those targets and uh then they upgraded and switched to a different uh variant later but uh but yeah. Uh, Holster was responsible for getting that squadron set up, controlling multiple detachments at a time uh, that were deployed and uh, supporting people all around the Pacific. And he's one of the plank holders, and that squadron is still based out in Hawaii. And I just recently sut- shut my squadron down, HMH 463, this May, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to bring that, the, the CH 53 kilo in later. But uh, without further ado, Lieutenant Colonel Lewis, uh, I'll let you go on about some of the capabilities you guys did, your experiences in Hawaii.
1: Yeah, then i got a bunch of questions too, uh, but let's just go with that, and uh, welcome to the show again, sir, and it's nice to have you on.
6: All right. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, so, yeah, I was um, up until 2014 when I got out to Hawaii to join BMU uh, 3 I was a Cobra driver before that. I'd done a fact mm-hmm. tour uh, on the Mew. Uh, Haleborn Company did the first uh, Yankee Zulu debt, last frog debt. Um,
0: What's Mark Zulu? tour?
6: Oh, sorry. Um it's the uh the Cobra and the Huey upgrades. So I okay. flew the A H one with uh so that would have been the super cobra, uh and they okay. didn't want to go with super cobra, so
1: they went with the Viper, so that's the Zulu. Um, yeah, I'm gonna ask you to translate a few things just because we have a non-military audience and a lot of folks, and this is, you guys are so used to talking in, in codes and jargons, and I know most of them, but there's there's a, there's a few that's, uh, that that escape me. So, so my apologies in advance for you know interrupting whatever it is. Just so we know. So, oh, that's what he's talking about. It's a Cobra helicopter. You know, two feet, front to back. You know, very fast, very thin, lots of guns and you know missiles and all kinds of cool things on it. Yeah.
6: So and yeah, please interrupt me if I'm going too fast or if I'm uh, if I'm not being clear. So okay. the uh, the move out to Hawaii uh, coincided with BME three actually moving from Twenty Nine Palms to Hawaii. So for a long time, the Marine Corps only had two unmanned squadrons, mm-hmm. one in Twenty Nine Palms BME one and one in Cherry Point BME two, and then we had a reserve squadron out in Pendleton that got stood up. Um, right about the same time, I think, uh, right before VME3 moved out to Hawaii. So um, we've got this new squadron, uh, and we've got a whole bunch of people uh, that the Marine Corps moved in one fiscal year, basically the entire squadron. Um, At the time, we had 270, so we moved about 240 individuals out um, in 2014. And at the time, these are things that you can look up if you want, if you're interested. Um, The UAD that we had at the time was the RQ-7 Shadow, which was actually an Army um, drone that was the subcomponent of what's called the Great Eagle, MQ-1 Charlie. Some people know that better as the Predator. Um, Yeah, I'm going to ask
1: you for a a little drone history, uh, once uh, a description of what you're doing, so that people can understand how these things came about and and what they can do. We'll sort of go through the the common names like Predator, which people can relate to. So, uh, yeah. Please continue. It was interesting.
6: Okay. So, um, yeah, so 2014, we're starting to get the training uh, established so that we can train a whole squadron from scratch uh, in order to deploy. We didn't know it at the time, um, but in the fall of 2016, uh, we started deploying detachments to the Philippines, um, and that continued through the end of 2018. What was there? Uh, in the middle of that. In the middle of that, as, as Tom was alluding to, we had um, we didn't have the ability to fly in Hawaii for the first two years that we were there, so we would have to go. And when I say Hawaii, I meant Oahu, the, the island, specifically Oahu. We couldn't fly out of Marine Corps um, air station, Kaneohe Bay. So we had to go to the big island uh, on the big uh, range reservation any time we wanted to train or any we wanted to fly. So about every three months, we would take anywhere from one-third to one-half of the squadron and get in either commercial airlines or in Tom's 53s uh, and move our gear and our stuff and our people over to the big island just in order to train. Um, Why didn't so they that, just base you there? That was
1: not they just have a base there? It would have been simpler. <laughs>
0: yeah, or that a stupid question? somebody
6: would have put the work in 18 months prior to us showing up, uh, which is oh. how long about it took. To open up the airspace. They would have started that 18 months before we showed up, and that would have fixed that problem. So,
5: oh, okay, yeah, there, there's
6: Sorry for being a logical. lot of lessons learned. Which, which what the Marine Corps do? The Marine Corps does anytime we do any kind of large operation is uh, we figure it out as we go. We we certainly accomplish the mission, but we probably have a few broken fingers and toes along the way. Oh, um, yeah. So, in terms of, uh, I'll just shift to the uh, the historics. There's a lot of people that probably don't realize this, but.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm.
6: We've had uh remote piloted aircraft, which is another way to say drone or UAV. We've had these things in the Marine Corps since the early nineties. Um oh. the first the first units uh, were called RPVs, um remote piloted vehicles, and they were operating on Palms as well. Um
1: Just California I can't right? remember. Palms. Southern California? Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. Middle of
6: the, the desert. desert. Oh. Yep. So interesting footnote, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm pretty sure it is. 29 uh-huh. Palms actually was an Army-based until the early 20th century, and I'm talking like the odds or the, the teens. Uh, it was deemed uninhabitable, and so the Army was going to give it up, and the Marine Corps raised its hand and said, we want it. And so for the next 100 years, we use it as their primary training base, CONUS.
1: Well, that w- they would so, do that just to show up the Army. Un- <laughs> <laughs> I know the Marines. <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a great propaganda thing, I would think. So uh, we've had these
6: since the early, late 90s, early 90s, um, and then changed their name to uh, Six-Wing Marine Unmanned Squadrons, which, you know, we're the squadron. uh, That Mm -hmm. doesn't really talk about a capability. It more talks about a technology. So we've had multiple. We've had the RQ-2 Pioneer. We've had the RQ-7 Shadow. Once we got rid of the Shadow, we went to the RQ-21 Blackjack. And now we're
1: what are these look like? If you if you could describe them, you know where are the wings? Where's the tail? How many engines? Are they props? Are they jets? How big are they? they all, and yeah. What can they do?
6: The ones so that we're, some, we're dealing with. Yeah. Our, yeah uh-huh. The ones that we're dealing with, and, and I'll and I'll talk through this um, generally speaking, because it's not just the Marine Corps, obviously, that has these. Uh-huh. When when you see drones, or when you think drones, or when you hear Reaper or Predator, you're talking about a big claim, and you're talking about a push prop in the back, single engine. Uh, fixed-wing, kind of a V, either V-down or V-up tail. But there are jet versions of these things. There's the um, the Avenger, which you can uh, search open source, which is the General Atomics uh, fixed-wing large uh, jet. And then um, the Triton and the Global Hawk, which are essentially the same thing. It's just a variant um, based on the Navy or the Air Force. Um, that's also a jet.
3: So the the larger
6: aircraft, and, and we do this by groups um, within the DOD as part of the FAA, um, so Department of Defense and the Federal Aviation Administration, they, they have certain policies and groupings for these uh, drones based on the size and the weight. And then based on the size and the weight is also where they can fly in the airspace. So the only group that can go up into the Class Alpha, which is where commercial aircraft go, is the Group Five, which means you need to have pilots that are instrument rated and trained to fly an uh, aircraft through uh, Group Alpha airspace or Class Alpha airspace.
1: This is a huge so point. Everything- no, this is a huge yeah, point. I wanted everything- to jump in here because this is uh, everybody who flies an airliner goes what? You've got you've got drones up with the where the airliners fly? You know, Class Alpha is is 18,000 yeah. feet above. Uh, so it's if, unless I forgot my basic flying uh, airspace rules, um, but and the airliners is up to around thirty-two thousand feet. So my first question is, how do you fly unmanned aircraft? You know, do they have radar? Do they have transponders? Do they put out a code so ATC, the air traffic control, can follow them? How do you how do? You and, uh, do you fly domestically, or or you do most of the use, like in Hawaii, because you can go to the Pacific Ocean, stay away from the main air travel routes, and be be away from other uh, other airplanes. But if you're in, do you ever find congested airspace, and how would you do that? I'm curious.
3: Yeah,
6: so the, there's a combination of things. So in any in any airspace, uh, and then anyone who's been through flight school or uh, controls aircraft understands, you can deconflict mm-hmm. the aircraft three different ways. Uh, you can deconflict by altitude, you can deconflict by time, or you can deconflict by distance. And mm-hmm. usually you want to use two of those to be space. So in the terms of the aircraft that we flew, Yes, they had a mode C transponder, uh, mode four. We were talking about upgrading to five. Uh, I'm not sure where that's at. Uh, mm-hmm. Last time I checked, the, the, uh, the program of record I was uh, taking care of, was divested of. The program of record we were investing in now is an Air Force program, uh, so they had control of that. You know? I remember having those conversations, but it, essentially in Hawaii, they would segregate. They wouldn't integrate. Um, My aircraft and it was the same thing in the Philippines. We flew out of a commercial uh, Airport, so when they had their their flights coming in and out, we weren't allowed to do anything Um, But if they had no inbound or outbound um, Then we would have the airspace to ourselves Um, Same over at Wheeler Airfield on Oahu Which was an army base we flew out of there and the army also had drones that flew out of there when the drones would take off or land they would clear the airspace and, and then do that. And then the routings would be cleared. Um, the only places that we could fly were within military-controlled airspace. So
1: yeah, I was just saying, do they call them, still call military operation areas or MOAs, or, or what are they called now?
6: That's one of them, yep. Okay. But essentially military reservations and
1: airspaces. Yeah. I used to teach flying, yeah, so and uh, uh, a I'm lot tempted to do it again. Injuries, but, uh, like I'm sorry, go ahead, Tom. Tom, start was-
3: out, out in big island and uh mm-hmm. there really wasn't much control range control kind of kept all the everyone else out of it but you'd have tour helicopters that we deal with on occasion north of saddle road as we were taking off mm-hmm. um south of saddle road is where all the the gun you know if there was artillery shooting they'd be shooting south if there was guys dropping bombs they'd typically be dropping on the specific final attack heading and the and uh his uh, his squadron would be lazing for him or just off, out, and uh, out of the way, you know, while they were dropping. But uh, that's how they kind of mitigated it. They put them next to a range. One of the significant things we had, anytime we'd go out to a little range called Bellows, if you watch Hawaii 50, you'll see a few scenes out at Bellows Beach. But they, they'd always say, hey, there's UAVs flying around. The infantry unit would go out there and, like, throw, you know, the smaller uh, the smaller ones you could put in a pack out there and uh-huh. test them out, but that they, I don't think they'd go above 1,000 feet, but the, that nodeum was always out there anytime they were flying, and I think uh, VME-3 had a NOTAM as well around Canny Bay once they finally got set up that was pretty standing and pretty active, but that's kind of how they mitigate that stuff, Greg, and obviously ATC knows about it
1: well, no, I'm just trying to think. Now, So if if, if ATC is controlling, and for our non-pilots out there, NOTAM is notice to airmen. It's a it's a notice that something's going on that you need to be aware of if you're planning to fly through the area that the, the NOTAM covers. But would ATC, would they communicate with the drone pilot on the ground about their drone in the air? How does that work? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so have I had no idea. St-
6: yeah, you have a control station, so... With the RQ-7, the one that I flew, uh, essentially you'd had you'd have two enlisted operators that were actually doing the flying and controlling of the sensor, uh, which in our case was essentially a video camera. And then you'd have an aircraft commander, which was myself or some officer that went through flight school and was instrument rated. They would handle all of the comms and, and kind of run um, mission control. So the nice thing about this was with my previous life as both a Cobra pilot and a Ford air controller and an air officer, Mm
0: -hmm. essentially
6: I took all the skills, divested myself of the monkey skills of um, putting my hands on something and controlling something and being um, up in the air. I could Mm -hmm. do everything else that I wanted to do, but I could do it on the ground. And Oh, by the way, I didn't have just one or two radios. I also had, you know, my nipper computer, my zipper computer, um, I could use my cell phone. I could pick up uh, S-Voice if I had that capability. You know, I could have six or seven different lines of communication for myself to coordinate uh, and help out. And then with the the advantage, the real advantage of why um, aviation, especially from an aerial reconnaissance standpoint, is shifting into the unmanned realm or the remote piloted realm is because you can you can have these things airborne for – Anywhere from four hours with the ones that um, Tom was talking about that the ground, the ground side will have now upwards of 34 to 48 hours in the air nonstop. So you have people rotating around the aircraft instead of the aircraft rotating around people,
1: if that makes sense. That no, makes perfect sense. In fact, I want to get into that too because we, we had I think Tom and I had this discussion not too long ago that uh, the ergonomics, the uh, you know the environmental factors, you know the oxygen requirements for pilots because we're human beings right. is is all that stuff doesn't apply. You don't have to have space for a pilot. You don't have to have uh, you know uh, oxygen. You don't have that have pressurization. You don't have to have any uh, you know. You can do what you want with these things and they can be a lot smaller, a lot more compact. Uh, Do they have cameras on them so they can see where they're going? So the person on the ground can see, or is it done by radar internally? Uh, How how do you, how do you keep from hitting other things? Um, I would say it's a combination of both.
6: So obviously the the sensor, um, that you have most of the time with the group three UAVs that we had Uh group three being anything from 56 pounds up to 1,320 pounds, um, and those can go all the way up to um, right load class alpha. Um, and you're talking about speeds between you know eighty knots to about one hundred and sixty uh, water times you know, usually in the eight to eight to sixteen realm uh, depending on the size. Um, so that's that was really the the area that we had uh, and so we would use camera obviously for missions and then we were when we were transiting to and from missions we would use the camera to kind of look around Uh, but essentially you're using procedural control with atc kind of like gas does uh, and you're clearing a route and so you should be uh, fat dumb and happy and as long as you're you're doing what you were supposed to be doing and you can look around to see if you've got any interlopers you're squawking obviously so you know everybody can see you um, but we didn't have, you know, if you want to think about it, we didn't have like little cameras all around it, uh, so we could have 360 degrees uh, of view. So we couldn't really do due regard. We couldn't really do scene avoid uh, ourselves. Oh. So technically, we couldn't fly VFR or under VMC. So visual flight rules or uh, visual meteorological condition rules that apply it essentially means that the cock, the co- or the pilot in the aircraft has to look around uh, and self deconflict. Um, especially in uncontrolled
1: airspace, uh, which is typically class echo and, and, and below. Yeah, interesting. Um, would you have an equivalent screen to ATC, air traffic control screen, so you could see where the other airplanes were that they saw too, so you could see any, any traffic conflicts or, or no? Or it was they'd have the only I, radar? can't see anybody else's. What's that?
6: I could see mine on our um, on our displays, but I couldn't see anybody else's. So I knew what I was doing, uh, and I would overlay, you know, our flight plans or our, or our course rules. So if I had a specific route or a specific uh, orbit that I needed to hit, um, I had uh, an ability to basically put my aircraft on, you know, which if people are familiar with Falcon View or, you know, Google, Google Earth, something along those lines where
0: mm-hmm.
6: uh, I've got a moving driven aircraft that's drawn a line uh, in the sand and and letting me know where I've been and where I'm going. Uh, And then the overlays to that would be, okay, here's my corridor to and from the airfield to my orbit. Here's my orbit. Here's the altitude. Here's the diameter, all those things, um, making sure that I hit it. And then if I'm drifting or if something's going on, um, I can catch it because I can visually see it. Um, I'm not just relying on the camera on the aircraft. There is a GPS on that that helps me track it.
1: If it's got GPS, you can probably program what we call waypoints. In other words, fly here, fly there, fly there, fly there, land kind of thing. You can do that? And and that's
6: essentially what you're doing. Uh, You're loading the flight plan, the GPS. And then the other thing that that enables is that, so I'm on the ground. Um, Obviously, I've got an antenna uh, that sends out a command data link to the Mm -hmm. aircraft, uh, via line of sight. Um, and that's kind of how you limited the range uh, of these things. They weren't limited by gas. Um, they are more limited by, you know, where, where are your control stations and can they see them and then do they have the power output to get the signal to and from the aircraft. Where you got to beyond line of sight is now you're you're dealing with satellite communications. So that's how you're doing mm-hmm. over the horizon. You know, someone in Creech, um, which is in, right outside Las Vegas in Nevada, is controlling something flying over Afghanistan. Obviously they're, they're bouncing that signal, um, via satellite. Yeah, I was curious about that too.
3: <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, especially yeah, with, those, you with, yeah. with those, Tom, particular models, when, when I was out mm-hmm. in the Middle East working, we always had a feed up on the screen in the command center, but the guys would be controlling it out of Nevada or wherever they were at. And, uh, uh-huh. you'd, you'd watch them fly it. You watch some of the stuff going down, like on the screen. Um, Every now and then you see uh, some jets come in and hit something in the middle of the night. But, uh, but yeah, like you have people stationed there specifically to recover that, that aircraft that unmanned aircraft and do maintenance on it in the middle East. And they might be active duty guys. They might be a few contractors out there making some extra money, but, uh, it's, it's insane. They'll recover them out to a base. They might recover them out to a ship. Um, and we'll get into the bad guy drones capabilities in a few minutes. That's actually pretty interesting because I was out there when they oh, were doing stuff. I'm really like curious. Uh, but, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm curious, too. How, how do you defend these things? I mean, they're targets. They're, they're in the air. So they're subject to missiles, ground fire, small arms fire. If they're, if they're low enough. What kind of obstacles do you have? And how, how do these things defend yeah, themselves?
6: Yeah, so they, 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 there's definitely been an evolution and a revolution in terms of um, – the proliferation of these unmanned platforms, uh, form uh-huh. factors, capabilities. Uh, one of the biggest things is, is that for the longest time it was just put, put a camera up in the sky and let me look. And then okay. it was, let's put some signal intelligence. Let's put some electronic intelligence. Let's put some, um, other, other capabilities. So now you're getting into a multi-int, um, capability that you're able to buy to the battlefield mm-hmm. and then just, okay, now let's do data relay. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna enable um, this this dude over here, that dude over there, that they can't communicate any way besides satellite, and the satellites are down. So now I'm gonna relay their line of sight communications and add that capability on top of that everything else or data distribution. Um, there's a lot of there's been a lot of um, capabilities enabled because of Moore's law and how technology um, iterates every 18 months and, and things get smaller, My, you know, microprocessors, all of these things, enabled everything to get down to a form factor where I didn't have to have, you know, a generator, the size of a semi truck generating enough electricity to power these, these different payloads. Now I can do it uh, with a small generator that fits inside a thousand pounds uh, aircraft. Then you think, okay, so that's the larger form factor. Let's talk about the smaller form factor. Tom kind of alluded to it with bellows. You know, everybody's seen the quadcopters at this point uh, that people fly around, and you can pick up at Radio Shack for about a hundred bucks with a seven twenty. What, what's D a or quadcopter? A what's with
1: that?
6: So a quadcopter is essentially the most. Um,
1: it's the most ubiquitous small. Oh, UAS. I understand. the drone. Yeah, the four props on the, on the yeah. like the four corners. Yeah. 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 So okay.
6: we call it a quadcopter just because. Of the, the, the,
1: it's an easy way to, you know. Yeah, I just kind of heard it. the name. I know what
6: you mean.
3: Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, all right. So quad, um, group, you guys were talking about defending. All ones, group uh, one, group two. Drones. Now you can
1: do. Well, Tom, go ahead.
3: Sorry, go ahead.
1: go
6: ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so you can have smaller drones, like you was saying, that are fixed wing that can you can pull out of your pack, but you got to assemble those. Um right. And obviously, fixed wing. There's there's a certain um, aviation type uh, requirements with those things with four feet and all these other things where really with, when you're talking about the platoon squad fire team level tactically you want something that I mean potentially can go in and out of buildings can hover um, can hide can come up and down um, you can't really get that with a, with a fixed wing platform um, those those quadcopters now are big enough and strong enough to carry things like 40 mic mic rounds and drop them um, you're what's famous, that? Uh,
1: well, what's a 40 mic so, round?
6: So a 40 mic, mic round, um, 40 millimeter grenade, um, that, uh, okay. is typically shot out of a tube underneath of an M16. We call it an M203. Um, right. also out of a 19, which is, uh, a automatic grenade launcher, which is one of the coolest things that I shot, uh, in my time <laughs> in the Marine Corps. Um, But, yeah, essentially you're talking about something that can take out a truck, a personal vehicle. It can't really take out an armored vehicle, um, but it can do a whole lot of damage to to lighter mobile infantry. Um, This is something that's been going on for a while um, in various conflicts. So now you have um, the ability to fly something that can loiter that has a camera on it where you can get positive identification over what your target is going to be. Um, you can either have that um, unmanned vehicle be the weapon itself. So now you drive this thing right into that dude's face uh, and get a picture of it. Uh, I've seen that, or it can drop something that can take out your enemy. Um, and then now the next iteration is to your point about how do you how do you stop these things? Well, okay, well, if I only have one and I can uh-huh. hear it or I can see it, I can shoot it. So okay. you're talking about whether it's a, a laser, or it's a machine gun, um, some kind of projectile that takes it out of the sky. You can also get into electronic countermeasures in terms of uh, directed energy or EMPs. Um, They're playing with those kind of things. There's a whole counter uh, UAS, and so you'll see a small C in front of UAS. The counter UAS um, space, both on the commercial military side, uh, is blown up because of things like uh, the Saudi oil fields that got attacked uh, right. from a swarm. Um, and the swarm is basically a way to overwhelm a defense and just say, okay, I'm going to bring two or 300 of my, my smallest bit, uh, and most loyal friends, and half of them are going to get through and do what I need to do because I only need half of them to get through, and you can't stop it. So how and do there's you no people going? on
1: board, right? so you're not, losing, you're not losing human life. So it's just money at that point. It's just money and technology. So that's a lot more it's politically acceptable, I think, to people too, right?
3: Yes. Yeah, what's significant about that that type of drone you just mentioned? Uh, that was happening out there when I was out in the uh, Middle East 20, 2018 to 2019. And the drone model you're speaking of is behesa Sahid 136. Loitering Munition Unmanned Aerial Vehicle, and like you said, the, the nose cone of it looks like a 40 mic Mike, Mike round and, uh, it's shaped like a, uh, a Delta, but they fly those into the Saudi oil fields, Saudi oil tanks, the, uh, the Houthis from Yemen would, and, uh, it's made in Iran. The Russians use it. The Iranian it. obviously the Houthis down in Yemen use it, but uh, they'd attack oil fields, the most significant attack that really screwed the Emiratis up at the time. Cause they had coalition forces fighting in Yemen. Uh, they went and they, they, they used one against the airport a while back back in 2018, and that was all over the news, Al Jazeera. Of course, you didn't hear about it in America because, you know, they're just not concerned. But anytime something like that happens in UAE, it goes all over the uh, – I think I heard about it. A. I try
1: and watch the, uh, the international press. In fact, we just started a new Action Radio international news group. So if you have any international stories, um, that's the place to post them because, uh, you know, we, we spend a lot yeah. of time – because we have such a – and our international audience is growing. Um, so it's fascinating, oh. you know, the amount of uh, things that are happening out there. Can you control a large number of drones with one computer or do they have to be individually controlled?
3: Oh, Great questions. question. No, no uh, impact, no idea. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you the uh,
1: the most infamous
6: mm-hmm. answer, it depends. Um, so <laughs> are...
1: I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, I've heard that one too. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it
6: depends. So you have you have the ability to, um, and, and it depends on your term control. So let me give you a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. I've got an RQ-7. I'm in a single control station, but I've got another control station that's getting ready to go. I can, can I can myself be the mission commander for both of those airframes, but they still have crews on them, right? And it's, and it's two different control stations. Now, mm-hmm. what if instead of two different control stations, I drop my link from one, put it somewhere where it's going to be used and I know what it's doing, control the other one. So I'm only controlling one at a time, but I'm in, I'm in command of both. That's another way to do it. Another way to do it is like you were alluding to have um, a human machine interface, HMI or a common control station that can pick up multiple um, platforms over different bands and display what they are doing and be able to command them to do certain things all at the same time. Um, That's where I think a lot of people want to go. Um, But historically what we've seen is um, kind of everything being analog or linear uh, Mm -hmm. where you have one crew on one platform at a time. And if you don't, what you usually have is some kind of administrative movement, especially uh, over in the middle East where you're talking about four to eight hours of, of loiter or not loiter, but, transit time from your mission area to your recovery area, you might have, you know, one or two people monitoring multiple airframes as they're, as they're making that
1: transit. Can they be refueled or recharged in flight? Are these electric or are they uh, uh, jet fuel powered or what what makes them go?
6: Um, So right now I would say 99% are fueled. There are, Uh, technologies out there where you're looking at you know, and this
0: is
1: stuff
6: that you can you can read about open source like for instance mm-hmm. Google yeah, no, was you talking about classified
1: stuff. I'll I'll probably ask you classified questions. You just have to tell me, no Greg, I can't answer that. It's like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know what's yeah,
6: so, so you know, yeah. So I can talk about like Google talking about mm-hmm. providing the internet to Africa. One of the ways they're gonna do that was having these really long winged, light, solar powered UAVs that mm-hmm. would just have these, you know, 5G modems floating at 10,000 feet or 15,000 feet or whatever. Oh, like so a relay
1: that, station kind of thing. Yes,
6: yeah. So okay. like a cell tower in the sky. Um, oh, okay. And that was going to be so you can have this thing up for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, forever, and it's solar powered, right? So then they're talking also about trying to transition some of these things to hydrogen, uh, so that you're not waiting for a fuel truck. Uh, to put your drone back up in the sky, you can just convert some water uh, into what you need. So there's there's people looking into that, um, but for right now, they're the smaller, like the quadcopters. You're talking about a battery,
0: mm-hmm. right.
6: electric uh, thing, anything kind of what we were dealing with on the aviation side. The larger platforms are fuel.
1: Well, the reason I is because I remember there was an article not too long ago that Air Canada is uh, picking up these 30-passenger electric airplanes, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, they're going to need a long cord, you know, I'm sort of joking about this. But I was thinking, if you can refuel in the air, why can't you recharge in the air? In other words, as they fly along and they reach their 200-mile their limit, you know, you have a, a, a probe that's more like a plug, and it just connects in the same way to a refueling battery in the sky and they could actually recharge these things and i'm thinking well that's kind of interesting thought but you could probably do that with drones if they had a long flight you know if you couldn't sneak in you know your drones close enough by truck or you know uh, however you would do it you know uh, or land a big transport and there with a bunch of drones and then kind of sneak them up to as close as they need to be um, i think in-flight refueling is going to be one of those things that's going to or recharging uh, that's going to happen i'm guessing
6: i think the way they're doing that right now um To accomplish the same concept that you're talking about is that you have drones uh, launching drones. So I can't quite get to where your point. Can't quite get to where I want to go. So I'm gonna have a really big, I'm gonna have a really big aircraft with a couple pods on it, and then once I get close enough, those pods will distribute smaller, like the the ones that Tom was talking about, something like that, and they will get to the missionary and, and conduct the mission that is required, not,
1: not the big carrier. So if you can drop from an airplane, so we're talking about drones that don't have to come back. These are ones that uh, once the mission's done, they're done, and the mission might be to slam the drone itself into something. Um, but uh, they're expendable, aren't they, to the most part? Or is there technology that's so valuable that you don't want them to fall in the enemy hands? They may have to do what they do and then self-destruct if you can't pick them up. I mean, how, how does all that work?
6: Uh yes to both. So attritable, okay. expendable, uh riskable. These are all terms um that depending on which room you're in kind of have shifting um boxes in terms of what they mean. But mm-hmm. what you're talking about is yes, there are simple kinetic um type that set it, forget it, that it comes back, I don't care. Um mm-hmm. And in fact, if it comes back, maybe that's my issue because if I if I armed it and I don't have a way to safe it when it comes back, then I've got an issue. So if it's a kamikaze, then I've got to find a place. Either I want it to hit its target, or I'm going to put it somewhere where it's not going to do any harm. Um, but either way, it's not coming back. A tritable, it may come back, it may not. I can afford it, um, but I have a way to recover it if it doesn't accomplish if it doesn't accomplish its mission, or I don't have like let's say for. A smaller form factor, like a switchblade that's recoverable. Um, You know, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I don't find. Okay, at a certain point, I'm going to bring it back uh, and try again another day, um, but recover that thing so that I'm not just um, just wasting that. And then obviously that there's you know the the actual airframes themselves, the larger ones, the Predators, the Reapers. uh, Those are not attritable or expendable, but they are riskable um, in terms of the fact. I think you said earlier. There's not a mm-hmm. pilot inside. So if an SA-7 or some other form of um, surface-to-air missile uh, from, a, from an enemy country shoots it down, it's not the same as shooting down an F-18 or an F-16 or an F-22. Um, and it's not going to cause the same level of strategic angst uh, from the National Command.
1: Are we going to have drones that are strong enough or fast enough to dogfight so that they might be replacing fighters?
6: um (laughs) it's a very loaded question uh oh i'm sorry i i I I, I didn't i didn't didn't know you You surprised me i'm not i'm not saying i'm not saying that you asked a bad question i'm saying it's a loaded question because there's a lot of emotion there you are talking about replacing an entire
1: community uh and legacy of like you said fighter pilots um, yeah. and I don't want to do that self-fight. I wanted to be a fighter pilot I mean that was that was my goal was the fighter pilot airline pilot thing I unfortunately started wearing glasses at 19 because uh, I I, had, I sold an airplane at 16 I had my private at 17 and I was wearing glasses by 19 and uh, you know it took me a while to get all my instructor ratings and things like that but I got them right before the airlines went broke so my <laughs> my history with, with aviation is rather interesting uh, and now I just want to fly a, a Viper Jet Mark II and you know play and have fun and Tom's going to teach me how to fly it maybe um, but um it's uh, it, but it's it's a question, you know. But but it's not the same thing. Well, let me just something I heard uh, uh, aviation special a while ago. They were talking about uh, the human capability versus the airplane capability. And back in World War One, the, the human, the pilot, was far more capable than the airplane. You had 110 mile an hour, you know, Spads and Fockers and uh, uh, splits and things like that, and that was about it. And they were dangerous and fabric and you know that kind of stuff. World War Two much faster, much more capable. Uh, it, it seemed that that was the best. This is why people like World War II airplanes. It was the best match of, of human and machine because it was still manually controlled. You were still flying the airplane. It didn't have a lot of computer guidance, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Not a ton of hydraulics. It was all manual. Then we get into the jet age and then things change. And, and the, the more that we have progressed, the more the pilot's taken out of it. It's fly-by-wire. It's automated. <clears throat> it's terrain-following radar. It's all these different things that have taken the pilot progressively out of of the of the system, it's much more automated than it is manual. So we're kind of heading in that direction anyway. I think that's why people like World War II airplanes. Although I'd love to get a hold of an F-86 Sabre. I think that'd be a, that'd be a real kick too. But isn't that where we're going anyway? And, and as much as tradition, but there's a lot of traditions. We don't have a cavalry of horses anymore. And I bet people absolutely miss their horse, their cavalry charges. But it's the same kind of thing. So nothing, nothing against the fighter pilot community. In fact, I, I dearly wanted to be a part of it. But the question is, if this is where technology is going, I don't know. I mean, can you make a? Uh, can how many G's can a drone pull? Uh, can drones be made to, or UAVs right. be made to go supersonic? Can they go supersonic? Do they have after jets? Say,
3: I'd, I'd say you're not going to have anytime soon a drone that does not have any human controlling it. Uh, there's basically all these guys that holster trained. Uh, he got them up. They have to be aircraft. The aircraft commanders, there's a guy controlling it on the ground, okay. making making decisions. And same thing, mm-hmm. you have an aircraft commander qualification after 500 hours that goes out to guys in my community and other communities, you know, whatever platform they're flying. Like, you have to prove that you're able to make good decisions in that aircraft, okay. sometimes with the crew and not, you know, get yourself and others killed. And uh, I think it'll be a while before we see people just sending drones out or other aircraft out without anyone controlling them. Someone,
0: no, I'm not you know, to that uh,
3: stuff.
1: But can they dogfight? You know, can you, can, uh, like I say, with the, with the computers and things like that, could they have their own radar? Could they have their own, there'd be a person on the ground to launch weapons and things like that. But so how capable already, do you think these things are going to get in terms of speed, uh, weaponry? Go so ahead.
6: It's already stopped there. Um, and this is also, you can find this open source. Um, okay beat an F-16 pilot uh, in a simulator. So a computer fought another human being uh, in a simulator and beat him. Um, Well, that's interesting. So because the computer knows how to, in a simulated environment, fly to the absolute edge of what that computer simulated platform can do, to your point, Take Mm -hmm. the human being out of the aircraft, and now the the airframe is now free to do whatever it can do that it's physically engineered to do. So obviously, you're going to be able to engineer an aircraft aircraft or a dogfight-capable platform that can pull way more G's than any human being could withstand. Mm -hmm. Um, So now you're talking about different capabilities. To Tom's point, now we're delving into a different environment where you're not just talking about an airframe capable of doing it or a software package capable of doing it. Now you're talking about artificial intelligence or autonomy. Okay. And those are it screwed up. Well, so
1: let's, let's ask that question because I,
6: I, I didn't think of it, but right. it's a good question. Yeah. So, so can I, and to Tom's point, and, and one of the reasons that we're talking about how this is going to take a long time is that it's not just about the technology. It's also about the policy, and it's also about the decision maker. How comfortable are we if you were going to take a Reaper, a Group 5 platform, and you're going to fly it 1,000 what miles? Well, what's that so look that's, like? that's, Yeah, so that's the biggest uh, push prop, General Atomics. That's the kind of infamous counterterrorism coin the last 20 oh. years over in, in Afghanistan, the Hellfire Slinger. Um, that the air money for
1: was that the one that, that, that yep. hit Suleimani? Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Yep. That's it. Yep. Okay. So
6: um, we're taking this and we're trying to transition it into a, a more a near peer peer to peer type um, competition environment and not just um, watching some violent extremist organizations and slinging hellfires at them when they do something bad. So anyway, launch this thing a thousand miles and then do what I was saying before, Mm -hmm. distribute some drones that can go another maybe say 500 miles and they're kinetic. And no one's, there's no human on the loop. There's no human in the loop. This is completely AI driven, autonomy driven. They are going to go to a target. They are going to potentially maneuver around um, defensive capabilities from the enemy And they're going to deliver their payloads um, at a predetermined point or predetermined time, and no one's the wiser and all you can do is watch. Are we comfortable with that? The answer today is no. Um, And are we capable of doing that technologically? I don't know. Um, But these are questions uh, that are going to have to be answered over time, especially if we are going to stay ahead of the pacing threat or outpace the pacing threat and get to a point where we can put them on all different types of horns of dilemmas that they're not even sure we do or do not have yet,
1: if that makes sense. No, it does. And I'm, I'm curious what uh, what our, our potential enemies, adversaries might be doing in the, in the same kind of technology. So where, where does the rest of the world stand with drones? Are we pretty much the leaders in this or are there some competitors? Um, conventionally, we've seen...
6: Uh, some other conflicts over the last decade um, really pushed the envelope in terms of how how to proliferate um, the use of smaller form factor drones. So you're talking about Group 2, Group 3. You're seeing this in Ukraine. Um, and challenging uh, the military uh, and industry within America to update mm-hmm. and upgrade and revamp their acquisition um, uh, policies because if you think about it it's not just which which toy do you want to go play with okay here's your money go buy it. okay well now right. i gotta give this toy to a kid and that kid needs to know what to do with it well how do i train them how to do that well i need an instructor or i need uh, a curriculum to train them on well where does that come from right so it's not as simple as just here go figure this out now mm-hmm. When the Red Star cluster goes up and you're in in a firefight, then all that stuff goes away and you will just, you know, go grab something and and try to do the best you can with it. And that's what you're seeing in some of these conflicts, um, especially Ukraine. But in a peacetime environment, you're, you're looking to try to set up, okay, what organization am I trying to do? How do I fight with that organization? What missions do each individual units have? How do they train to that? What is their training regimen to get to that? What kind of technology and capabilities do they need? Um, and how do I purchase those things? Like there's this whole list um, of things, and that's kind of where I became um, kind of trial by fire trained in doctrine, organization, training, material, personnel, leadership, facilities, and costs, which we call the PF. It's, it's the way you set up a unit. It's, it's all the things that go into it. Um, and it, it it can get very mind-numbing um, and frustrating with the fact that a lot of these things have been set up over time to happen um, in sequence instead of sequentially. So I'm trying to do everything at once when typically you need to do A before you get to B, before you get to C, and you're just trying to knock down the entire alphabet in six months um, because in six months, whatever drone or technology you have, is going to be old and and no one's going to want it. So you need to get this thing out and it can't take you 5 years to get it out. Because in a time that time then it's just going to become obsolete.
1: Is the policy and the people who make policy keeping up with technology or is the technology way ahead of the policy and they're not using the technology properly? And I'm talking about our, our woke general staff and some of the other people we've talked about before, Uh, the folks that make the big plans, are they aware of what can be done? Are they asking outrageously? What's uh, asking for things that can't be done yet? Where, where do we stand in the, in the policy technology matchup?
6: I would say it's the latter. So it's, um, it's a work in progress. There are some people that are say are like me, bulls in china shops. You know, breaking some furniture, making people uncomfortable, asking the right questions, uh, challenging. Um, well, you're on right. the right show for that. <laughs> this is what we yeah. do here. So, challenging. Yeah. Yeah. In the right legacy of thinking, um, not being not being bogged down by the. Uh, this is how we've always done it, so this is how it's done. Uh, <laughs>
3: type of answers. That's yeah. I'll tell you, it's a completely new field still. Uh, CNAP 3710. where I went back to uh, Whiting as an instructor, they had a, their own little chapter in there on uh, aerial un- unmanned aerial vehicle employment and certain regulations with that. Also, the FAA, the FAR, Aim has made their updates as well. So it, it's continuing to evolve and spread, and these uh, organizations that regulate uh, air air operations, air travel, or, or having to adjust to it as well. So everything you're saying is spot on, and I've, I've seen it. But the last time I actually interacted in the same airspace with drones was Hawaii. So
1: Interesting. Now, the design, I, you know, we have conventional helicopters. You know, you have a, a large main rotor, and you have a smaller tail rotor to prevent the, the main rotor from spinning the helicopter below it. Uh, I don't see that configuration in drones. We have the quad forces as you talk about, and the, like, sixes and eights. Is there something aerodynamically um, about the, the original helicopter design of the large rotor and the smaller tail rotor that doesn't lend itself to drones, or is this a better technology? And do you see helicopters of the future moving to potentially a quad four design or some of the other variations that have come from drones? This might be a Tom question first. So we actually How many did things?
5: have,
6: uh, oh. we, we did have a traditional helicopter uh, drone. It was called KMAX. Uh, it was Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan, I think, um, not being an engineer myself, but just guessing, um, and and some of the things that I've, that I've heard and been briefed on and talked about over the last, oh my God, it's four years now, uh, I've been in the Pentagon. Um, the, you mentioned it earlier, so you didn't have to do all of the engineering, the ergonomics, uh, to carry a human being, Mm -hmm. The, the traditional helicopter, the way it's designed is to carry human being or plural, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get to something like a, a V-22 design or a quadcopter or when you're talking about the electronic vertical takeoff or landing, the EV toll, that Air Canada, uh, picking up 30 human beings thing that you talked about, but mm-hmm. talking about turbofan wings, um, that provide that lift, not in the traditional design of say a Cobra or a QE or a 53. Because those were designed to carry humans, and when you combine unmanned engineering with manned engineering, you'll hear this term called optionally manned. Well, what hmm. you're doing is you combine the worst of both worlds, not the best. <laughs>
0: because I'm going to
6: make I'm going to make a drone capable of carrying a human being when the whole point of a drone in the first place was not to carry a human being. But we we haven't gotten to the point where there's actually a benefit from that. So. People are, are delving in the optionally manned space in terms of engineering platforms, um, but what they're finding when they're, when they're comparing capabilities of, okay, what if I didn't have this thing optionally manned, it was only unmanned, the performance charts go
1: way up. Yeah, you could take an F sixteen or, or a, a Cobra, and you, you could fully automate them now and make them drones. I mean, it seems to me remember they used to have missile tests back in the fifties. They'd uh, uh, take a B seventeen and, and fly it like a radio controlled airplane and launch missiles yeah, into we, it and things like done that. that. So for we, we, yeah, so this is not that just, new in terms it, of that. But the, it, go ahead. It made my
6: father. It made my father absolutely cry when he's got a an Aviation Week and the cover is an F four Phantom. Uh, getting painted up and, and made into a missile um, missile pig uh, for yeah. people at Red Flag to go shoot at. I mean, we've been doing yeah. this for a long time.
1: No, I understand that too. It's like I can't watch an airplane crash in a movie if it's a nice airplane. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, don't destroy one of my favorite planes, you know, or or classic car. It just it just bugs me. But uh, yeah, no, I understand that. It's um, but so the, the technology of automating has been around for a while, but the idea of, of actually having completely unmanned. Uh, aircraft that were designed to be unmanned from the beginning, and that's what's, what's interesting. Um, things we haven't covered, and we can run a little overtime if you want, or if not, then that, that's okay too. It, it just depends on uh, uh, on you two gentlemen. But um, yeah, Ukraine, I think we is, hit is, most
3: is, of it. One thing I will cover is uh, that uh-huh. drone I mentioned, the Iranian manufactured ones being flown in Ukraine right now by the Russians. Yeah, tell me. A significant thing to note about that is. Ukraine is putting sanctions on the Iran talking about how many people they can have in the country, uh, how many people they can have at their embassy. And, uh, that's one thing I I picked up yesterday going through some of the international stuff, but I thought that was interesting. It's like, oh, your drones manufactured in Iran, we're going to take sanctions against you, even though you're not necessarily the one that employed it against us. We know it was the Russians that were using it and they shot down eight of them, uh, trying to prevent drone attacks within the past few weeks. So. Who shot down whose drones? I'm a little confused here. Russia shot down – or Ukraine shot down Russia's drones. Which are made in Iran? Uh, Ones with with explosives in them.
1: Okay. So – we should talk about Ukraine, too, just for a minute? And the thing I forgot about until I, I just at my, my notes here, the, the oil, I mean, the, the Nord Stream, too. We should probably get into that a little bit if we can. Uh, I'll, I'll, you can tell me or speculate or however that works. But Ukraine, what's, what's going on in Ukraine besides UAVs and things? That uh, Any news that we should know about?
0: Uh, you,
3: well, I'll tell you what's going on in Russia. You have Russia activating their reservists right now. Right. And uh, we'll cover a little bit of that in a minute. But they're trying to activate over 300,000 reservists and send them into Ukraine to go fight. Some of these individuals are just leaving the border. They're leaving to Georgia, Kazakhstan, uh, Finland, Poland, other parts of the world. And they're saying, nope, we don't want to go fight this war. This is dumb. And uh, they're also trying to draft people under age 35 right now who have zero military experience Mm -hmm. fighting Ukraine. And this this is all Russia doing this to try and bolster the war effort in Ukraine, but nobody wants to fight it. Um, so that's very significant, and then you get got people leaving the country because they want nothing to do with it. They're fed up, and uh, there's many shots of these reservists getting activated and leaving, uh, getting married to their wives, and, uh, you know. Then well, you can't go if deal. you're married? Well, no, I mean, they're getting married, then going to fight, so that's oh. one of the clips I came across doing my homework huh. there. But uh, very significant because Russia is having a hard time recruiting. And, uh, you know, right now in America, we're having a very difficult time recruiting as well, anyone to join our military uh, with recent events. Which we've gotten into on previous shows, but that's one thing right now Russia and the United States have in common is uh, they can't get enough people to join the ranks of the military.
1: Yeah, but people aren't joining our military because they think they'll go to Ukraine. Or do they? Or are they avoiding it because they think they might go to Ukraine?
3: I don't think that's in their scan right now, but under okay. the current administration we have, it, it might be in the near future. And you're talking about the uh, the oil pipeline. Again, same thing I went, I went on with you a couple weeks ago. You uh-huh. try and find specific snippets of that on American mainstream media. Guess what? Censored out. They don't want you to know about it. They don't want you to know about the two parts of the pipeline that were attacked. It was two, two explosions in the pipeline. I think it had a 2.3 magnitude earthquake. CIA warned Germany weeks ago about it. And here we are, finally, the pipeline's leaking under the ocean. They got aerial footage of that, uh, oil running from Russia to Germany. And, uh, so wait a yeah. Hold
1: on a second. I want to make sure we get this. So you're talking about – so Nord Stream 2, as I understand it, it was the ocean pipeline um, that was supplying from yeah. Russia to Western Europe, and it had a gas leak. At least it was reporting on Fox News there was a gas leak, a methane two of, leak. Two of them. Two of them. With, okay. and, what, and you're saying yeah. those are earthquake-caused?
3: Yeah, well, not earthquake caused. No, the, the explosion when it finally started leaking was equivalent to an earthquake uh, in the ocean, is what they okay. what they're equivalent it to.
1: So, can you speculate as to who might have done this and why?
3: Uh, you never know. You know, I mean, people were warned about it, but uh, okay, to me, and this is just speculation. We have over a hundred and twenty. Food facilities that have burned in this country, food processing plants that have burned in this country, and I, I personally think it might be up there with that if somebody did do this on purpose, but purely speculation. Um, no, that's
1: okay. Like I said, as long as we make clear what we're doing, you know, we, when we say they're facts, they're facts. When we say we're speculating, we're speculating. I do that all the time. Um, to me, and I was watching, it uh, was really interesting, Tucker Carlson these days was talking about how stupid could this be, and they're actually playing quotes of, of brand Brandon and somebody else in the administration—that woman who's, uh, you know, fond of war—the the State Department person, uh, who I guess was presiding over getting us in Iraq and Afghanistan as much as possible—and they said that, yeah, we'll do whatever we can to stop the Nord Stream pipeline, and we can do it. So it, it's almost like, uh, you know, the threat. And and so who would gain from that? Who would um, Russia wouldn't gain from it because it's their pipeline. Europe wouldn't gain from now, it because Russia they're getting
3: the energy not from, gain from, it. from it. So so it who economically and politically, but
0: yeah, yeah. He's, so then, I, then.
3: I, I did see where he threatened it.
0: Yeah. And
3: also on the same story, there's him sitting between two biker boys. And then you got a biker girl sitting in his lap at the bottom of the page on the Washington examiner. And he's currently <laughs> sniffing her hair. <laughs>
1: of course he is. Well, you know, and, and, um, uh... Daniel, we've talked about this a lot. That uh, you know, I, I, I'm openly say that it's a stolen election. We're under a coup. He's not the commander in chief. He's not the president. There's a shadow administration running everything. The GOP, which I call the gelding old party, is completely complicit in this. They don't care, and we have a we have a nation without uh, without a, a lawful government. And anything's possible in that situation. And so this is why I do what I do. That I never thought that. Um, you know, when I started this, the citizen legislature, that we'd be in a situation where we had two years of COVID lockdowns for no reason, because uh, COVID wasn't that big a deal. That there's probably a, a second infection that we don't know about is one of the m- many influenza strains that's not tested for in the PCR test so they can cover it up. That's what killed the million people. You know, all these things, we're in, we're in the dark ages. We're in like a modern dark ages. And there's some really horrendous things going on. Uh, so Dan, if you have any questions for me on on terms of our citizen legislation, feel free. But I do like to look into some of these things, and I do like the stories that are not being told. And so for me, you know, it's the logic and reason filter. Why are things happening the way they're happening? Why Why would this thing have two accents? So let's try. That. You may have answered this already. I'm not sure, but but who could gain? Who would gain from from um, putting a bunch of holes or two holes in the north stream to the gas pipeline? Why would they yeah, do it?
0: So
6: that was an interesting five minutes. So. Obviously, as a a current Uniform member, there's a lot of that that I can't comment on and won't. Um, But certainly the free speech aspect applies. Um, So I'm I'm certainly here to listen in terms of what you guys are saying. And I think that question, uh, which I think is the right one, because it goes down the right road of logic instead of um, trying to create something on your own, when you Mm -hmm. ask the question... That's that drives you to the right end state when you when you ask the question a different way. Uh, I think that's where people get in trouble and start uh, inventing things um, to to get to their uh, answer that they already kind of predetermined um, before they asked the question. And so mm-hmm. now they're just trying to. Generate enough. I mean, data it could be China. To,
1: I mean, China might benefit from this because yeah. they can continue conflict between Russia and, and uh, the United States. I think our big problem is we have a permanent war class. We have people like the John Boltons uh, and that, that woman, I've forgotten her name from the State Department, that their whole goal is to keep us at war somewhere as much as possible. We've got bankers that want to do it because they, they make money. We've got military corporations that make money. We've got Austin from on, the Secretary of Defense. He's probably making money. There, there's, there's reasons that these things happen, and the soldiers pay for it. You know, you're the guys that come back crippled and, and, and killed in these, these operations that may have nothing to do with their national security. But they say, oh, we're fighting for freedom. Well, not necessarily. So could China be? I mean, if I were China, this seems to me the perfect way to maintain conflict. So they have the old James Bond film where they, uh, they were blowing up Russian missiles and American missiles and uh, stopping the space things cause to try and create a war between us. You know, Spectre was doing it. You know, I'm not saying we haven't made
3: your That's the movie I think about when I think about the oh, pipeline. With the, okay. That's, yeah. But very significant. But yeah, that's that's all I got for the show today. Uh, okay. Holster, thank you for coming on. Uh, Pleasure to chat with you again and catch up as always. But reach out in the future if you need anything else and uh
1: yeah oh my god right Holster, did we <laughs> cover everything you wanted to cover and, and uh, you're still you're still active yep. duty right so 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 can it, did we talk about the the covid jab has that affected you or no or is that something you want to talk about
3: uh we yeah, say so that for... i was more... go ahead so we can save it for another show if you want
1: that's fine i don't want to ask a big question now i was just curious i think you might have mentioned it but uh, if you're active duty now but we'll, we'll talk about that later okay anything else we should be covering have we have we covered, Have we got it all? No, I, I nope, think we got it. it all.
6: I mean, okay. a, in terms of all, certainly scratches the surface. I mean, you can you can talk about this for days, but I think for for an hour we got we got a lot
1: done. Okay, Well, like I said, we we haven't known to run over <laughs> like last week. We ran over an extra hour, which is fine with me. I don't care. Uh, that's fun, um, Captain Tom. Uh, anything else you want to do? Any contact information? Things to uh, your petitions? Uh, ways that people can help? People can get in contact with you if they need. Uh, Help with different issues. Um, anything else you want to uh, add to this, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day.
3: Nope, that's all I got. So,
1: all right, we'll do it next, next week.
3: week. Absolutely, this is Thanks. a fascinating
1: hour. It really is, and I really appreciate uh, uh, both of you for being on the show. I got to play a few things which I never got to. We actually had solid reports all the way from uh, from seven o'clock this morning, so three hours ago. So we haven't even taken a break yet. So I'm going to do that now, uh, get some stuff caught up. And uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. We'll do it again soon. Craig Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system. But it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with MyPillow and now goes to MyCoffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L Which stands for Write Your Laws MyPillow pillows are guaranteed The most comfortable pillow You'll ever own Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most Controversial show you will Ever hear Check out their products with our discount code At MyPillow.com Slash W-Y-L That's MyPillow.com Slash W-Y-L or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink. That turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start
3: your engine.
1: This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with founding moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, SRV1776.com. That's SRV1776.com this week, I want to break from the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers to consider one of the many aberrations in the early days of the land of the free. That is, the Sedition Act of 1798. Granted, this is always grouped with the companion bills on aliens, but I see them as separate issues. Why would a new government formed from colonies under rules of sedition from a foreign monarch bring about that same tyranny into our government so early in its existence? The Constitution was ratified on September 17, 1787. The Bill of Rights was ratified on December 15, 1791. So it was already in the supreme law of the land that Congress could make no law that abridged the freedom of speech, thus making any subordinate law on sedition unconstitutional automatically. And yet, it happened. All power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore. If you have a government of good laws and yet bad officials who crave the preservation of power more than the alleged guarantees of freedom, freedom takes second place. You can see that in evidence throughout the entire government response to a coronavirus that would have run its course naturally in about 10 weeks, just like the flu every year and would have been gone by the summer of 2020 when all viruses fade until the winter. And yet, look at the massive amount of power taken from the people in a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Sedition is defined in my online dictionary as conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch. So what did the government put into a law that so obviously came from the former ruler of the colonies into the new government of the United States? The Sedition Act is titled, An Act for the Punishment of Certain Crimes against the United States. In other words, conduct or speech that criticizes the government. (laughs) Where have we heard that before? Section 1 of the Sedition Act reads, be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America, in Congress assembled, that if any persons shall unlawfully combine or conspire together with intent to oppose any measure or measures of the government of the United States which are or shall be directed by proper authority or to impede the operation of any law of the United States or to intimidate or prevent any person holding a place or office in or under the government of the United States from undertaking, performing, or executing his trust or duty, and if any person or persons with intent as aforesaid shall counsel, advise, or attempt to procure any insurrection riot, unlawful assembly, or combination, whether such conspiracy, threatening, counsel, advice, or attempt shall have have the proposed effect or not, he or they shall be deemed guilty of a high misdemeanor. This, of course, violates the entire First Amendment except with regard to religion. It gets worse. Section (laughs) 2 says in part, and be it further enacted, that if any person shall write, print, utter, or publish, or shall cause or procure to be written, printed, uttered, or published, or shall knowingly and willingly assist or aid in writing, printing, uttering, or publishing any false, scandalous, and malicious writing or writings against the government of the United States, or either House of the Congress of the United States, or of the President of the United States, with intent to defame the said government, or either House of the said Congress, or the said President, or to bring them or either of them into contempt or disrepute, or to excite against them or either or any of them the hatred of the good people of the United States. Hmm. In other words, saying anything against the government of the United States or anyone in it is a crime punishable by jail and fines. This effectively creates political prisoners in the United States, much like the innocent people in the D.C. Gulag Jail for being in the Capitol building January 6th. If that were not bad enough, within the Sedition Act is probably the most dangerous provision to individual liberty that I have yet seen in the founding documents and provides a shocking precursor to the future neutralization of our jury system and the supremacy of the government courts over the people. Section 3. And be it further enacted and declared that if any person shall be prosecuted under this act for the writing or publishing any libel aforesaid, it shall be lawful for the defendant, upon the trial of the cause, to give an evidence in his defense, the truth of the matter contained in publication charged as a libel, and the jury who shall try the cause shall have a right to determine the law and the facts, under the direction of the court, as in other cases. The key words here are under the direction of the court. The whole point of a jury is to not only determine the guilt of the defendant, the restitution in a civil case, but most important for the jury is to determine whether the laws implied are fair, just, constitutional, and are not arbitrary and capricious reservoirs of unlimited government power over the people. Jurors can do whatever they want because they are the representatives of the people over the judges who work for the government and therefore work for the people, and yet, As virtually every judge instructs their juries that they can only judge the facts of the case and not the law. That lie is repeated every day in courts all across the country. And now I see where it came from. Section 3 is really saying that the juries and therefore the people are under the direction of the court. What the Sedition Act really does is makes criticism of the government a crime and allows government judges to direct the juries that would hear any case under this act, thus destroying the right of free speech, and to redress grievances against the government, and to due process and the right to a jury trial of one's peers. One could imagine anyone charged under this act would be guilty until proven innocent, and then ruined by government if they were proved innocent. Can you think of any parallels to the rights of free speech today? The Sedition Act was approved July 14, 1798, signed by John Adams, President of the United States. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. Thoughts and, and prayers, certainly, for the folks that are uh, about to get hit with uh, Hurricane Ian uh, in the Fort Myers, um, Tampa area, and, and all between there. So that's uh, I went through a hurricane, and, and it wasn't bad for me at all. I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, the, there was a storm surge. The, the waters were rising up towards our main street, but they never got there.
3: Uh,
1: our, our fields where we have our free band concerts were were quite flooded, but uh, I don't think anybody was was hurt or killed by the storm surge. There was definitely flooding. Uh, and there was the point if the water got high enough, I was going to get out of here. Um, I lost power for three days, so the food got a little old, but I had plenty of food here. I didn't have to leave. The water was fine, um, so the basics here. I just lost uh, power, so I couldn't do the show. Um, that's all. That and that was Hurricane Valley a couple of years ago. So as far as hurricanes go, you know my experience has been very very mild, um, but I can see where the potential. You know when we had like I don't know. 60, 70-mile-an-hour winds here. And so I think there were 80 over in Pensacola. And still, that's that's fairly light. You know, it's, You know, we're talking 157-mile-an-hour winds plus Category 5 hurricane with Hurricane Ian. So it's going to be devastating for the folks down there. So good luck. Hope you prepped well. Hope you uh, uh, got out in time. And uh, if you stuck around, then, uh, you know, do your best and, and survive well. And I'll be back to, tomorrow. Now, tomorrow our world's greatest doctor's panel. Uh, Thursdays are very special out here. We start at 10 a.m., uh, Central time. So 11 Eastern, 10 Central, 9 Mountain and 8 Pacific. And we have just the most incredible people, Dr. Judy Mikevitz, uh Dr. Brian Artis, Dr. Jim Thorpe, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, our data expert, John Cullen. And who knows who's going to drop in? Uh, there's all kinds of folks that, uh, that come by. And so you never know. You just never know, and that's what makes it really special. Anyway, uh, websites we gave out before, but uh, we're at blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action and our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. And I'll be back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Central, uh, 11, what did I say, 11 uh, Eastern, 10 Central you know, nine mountain and uh, eight Pacific time with our world's greatest doctors panel. Number 19, it's the 19th one we've been doing this. I thought it was maybe two or three, and now we're working on our 19th week. So we will keep going, and I'll see y'all tomorrow. Step into the world
3: of power loyalty Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumbacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
4: VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18+. plus.
3: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up
2: in your hands.